serves. This is Sir Gene with your morning update in the afternoon. Joining me once again is Sir Dude Named Ben. How are you today, Ben? I'm doing well, Gene. Doing well. So you're a guest on my podcast. How does it feel to be a guest on the podcast again? <laughs> well, we're getting close to the new show. We've got some art coming that's looking pretty good. We've got theme song that Secret Agent Paul's working on for us. So we're getting close. We're just not quite there yet. That's not why we're doing this one yet. still under yours. Yeah, that's all right. So we're just being transparent. Everybody knows it's coming. Everybody knows that they got something interesting to look forward to. The new new independent podcast. Mm-hmm. And I'll get back to doing some other interviews with guests on my podcast. So looking forward to that as well. Because, you know, I just had about enough of you. <laughs> well, I mean, we're still going to do a weekly show. So well, exactly, <laughs> how much you've exactly. had enough of me. <laughs> but yeah, well, and you know, good. on the new show, we'll probably bring in people as well, kind of have we have on this one occasionally. But yeah. yeah. No, I think, I think we're, we're going to have a good time. The focus, you know, it took a little while, I think, for us to kind of figure out what the focus was because. The first time I, I had you on, on Sir Gene Speaks, it was all about weather, climate, and electricity. Yep. We've deviated from that quite a bit. Yeah. And, you know, we've really, the way this show has ended up and the way the new show is going to go is kind of a sandwich, if you will. You start off with a fairly serious topic, then we generally devolve into gun talk, something less serious, and then we move back to something more serious. Yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't observed that, but I'll take your word for it that we're we're actually doing something like that, which which is always good to have a description of what the podcast is. That's just a short one sentence description, kind of like I talk about my show Unrelenting with Daryl and his other brother Daryl <laughs> as basically the Seinfeld uh, of podcasts. We literally start the show with no topics and no prep in mind. Uh-huh. It's a podcast about nothing, and yet we always seem to talk for a couple hours. Yeah, you know, I don't. I don't generally prep topics for the show. Today, I actually have a couple things that I want to specifically talk about, but generally, it's a free-flowing conversation between us. Yeah, well, free-flowing, but with some ideas. I don't, I definitely have a few things I want to talk about. Well, let's get into it. All right, well, let's <clears throat> let's do it. Should we, should we get some segment music made as well, then? Not just intro music, so that... When we go into a new topic, there's a some kind of a newsy segment sound. We'll we'll, we'll work on it. We'll work on the sound we'll effects. We'll just have a yeah or something like that. <laughs> yeah, or tele teletype going off in the background or something. Yeah, or some guns shooting in the background. There so let's go. talk about guns. That's a good topic. Yeah. So thanks to New York and the credit card industry, all new purchases of guns and ammo will be flagged on credit card purchases and tracked. Yeah. Which is interesting, but not surprising because of two things. One, the government has realized that it has tremendous power through private industry to be, re- to be able to accomplish things they're forbidden from accomplishing. For, for example, let me just finish the thought here. So mm-hmm. for example, I believe it was U.S. Bank or maybe Chase during January 6th that tracked the routes and locations of everybody that had their app on their phone along with a transaction purchase geocodes and then provided that full list of people that were in the Washington DC area on or around January 6th to the FBI so that they could then figure out who it was and round people up completely warrantless 
completely illegal. This is essentially private industry utilizing technology in the way that technology was never rolled out to people to accomplish something on behalf of the government. So my, my personal opinion, not legal advice, this is absolutely illegal use of that private information. And well, then the second it, thing, it, of it's course- something, It's something that they should have a fiduciary responsibility to you to not disclose. Yeah, they should. They shouldn't be collecting it. They shouldn't be storing it if they are collecting it. And they sure as shit shouldn't have it organized in the way where they can provide that data. Uh, literally, again, without a warrant, there was no warrant issued for this because it was too broad. It was a voluntary, hey, would FBI, would you like to have all the data on our customers? Because we're a good bank. We'd like to be a good pet of the state. Mm -hmm. So total bullshit. And then, of course, all the stuff the FBI has done with Facebook. No big surprise there. The uh, stepping up of the, the ATF's activities in going through and now photographing all receipt books of gun shops. Now they Which haven't done all the gun shops, but they're going through it under the guise of we're here to do a legal verification. But since we're here, we'll just go ahead and take photos of everything. And then create a database in the background yeah. that they're not. And I think their thought is, have. well, we're not creating a database. So it's, there's nothing illegal about it. We're not, we're not banned from taking photos of this data. We're just banned from having a database. That's all. They'll just yeah. get some private company to do it for them because that seems to be the common workaround for all the government activities, which they're not supposed to engage in these days, is to have a private company voluntarily do something that the government wants done. And so what, what's, what, what's going to happen now is they're going to be able to leverage the credit card industry, say, in the same way, they won't even need a warrant. It'll be Chase and Visa, who are completely woke. We know this from the sponsorships they do, the activities that they block from using their networks. They've already blocked a lot of gun shops. You can't buy a lot of guns with the credit cards to begin with. But for the larger places like Cabela's and Bass Pro and whoever else, obviously, they're still taking credit cards. But now it's gonna all be those... All those transactions are going to be classified as flagged transactions, potentially by future criminals. So it's going to be interesting. So pre-crime, it's pre-crime, so man. Out outside of New York, with the credit card industry developing this tag, if you will, for this purchase. So it's going to be interesting what stores say, you know, acquiesce and say yes, this is X, Y, or Z, because an argument could be made for Academy or anything that's not purely just a gun store that they could still tag it as sports and outdoors or outdoor recreation equipment, because it is a voluntary tag that the store attaches based off of their purchasing system. Anything that starts voluntary won't be. It'll be a requirement I for Visa Mastercard. Completely agree. Completely agree. But what's interesting about this is that since it's the credit card industry doing this, this doesn't just affect the United States. This is international. This is an international standard that is being implemented. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. So have you read much on New York's new gun law and plans that are going into place? Would, no, I guess I haven't. That's so New York is you. now going to require a background check for ammunition purchases and limit the number of rounds purchased at any given time and have a tracking system to track how many rounds of ammunition you have. So they've given up on guns and they're now trying to just focus on the ammunition part they're moving heavily in that direction yes i think i, I have mean, the cover they've doubled down on the guns as well they've I increased the cover their art for this episode 
I'm sorry. I, I I just found the cover art for this episode. What's that? I just sent uh, it to you. Gotcha. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I I bought some bacon broccoli salad and the price was three thirty three. Three thirty three. Uh huh. Magic number. Anyway, so yeah, ammunition control. Well, talk a little more about that, and then I, I want to talk about the original origins of the NFA. Yeah. So this. New York law, you know, it, it doesn't prohibit importation into the state by individuals. So if you go to Pennsylvania and buy ammo, you're not going to be affected. Like, they're not going to stop you at the border and go, well, yet, yet, yet. Very, it, it is definitely a slippery slope in that direction. Also, since they're instituting this background check for ammo, it's not clear in the law yet to any of the FFLs and gun stores out there that, you know, or just mom and pop fish and tackle store that also sells ammo. A, how they're going to have to process that, and B, if they don't get an answer on the background check back, do they decline the purchase? Do well, they have a mandatory waiting period? Limit on purchase at per store? So you just go to a bunch of stores then, or what? For now, uh, I, but it won't be that long before, hey, you're over your monthly allotment of ammo purchases. Mm-hmm. What's going on? You already had your box for the month. Exactly. Mm-hmm. How much are you shooting? Good God. Yeah, police officers are given 50 rounds a year. But how do you need more than that? Well, it, you know, this is one of those things that I absolutely just if you if people aren't seeing the writing on the wall of what's coming, man, you've got to stock up now. You really need to. All right, there you are, shilling ammo. I hey, I have no dog in the hunt other than wanting free people. I mean, free people? Yeah, free as in free and able to defend their country against enemies foreign and domestic. And, domestic, and right now yeah. it's looking more mm-hmm. like domestic. Yeah, like it's not even China pulling the strings. It's, it's the idiots <laughs> that are trying to deprive themselves and others of basic freedoms. Yeah. So For let's sure. talk about the unconstitutional NFA that has never seen a Supreme Court challenge yet. So what I was under the impression of was the NFA had focused on the items that are currently banned, which would be (laughs) machine guns, short-barreled rifles and shotguns, and silencers. And then when I read a little bit of history, I was quite surprised and realized that, oh, well, this makes more sense now. So the, the NFA, much like the abolition movement on alcohol, came about as a let's throw the baby out with the bathwater movement in the U.S., predominantly by large cities, because that's usually where bad ideas come from, uh, to ban all firearms. That was the goal. And obviously that would be a hard uphill battle given the Second Amendment. And while there might have been enough support to get the states to pass an anti-alcohol amendment, there was not enough support to get all these places that weren't cities to support a getting rid of the Second Amendment amendment to the Constitution. And originally, the idea was, okay, well, if we can't ban guns, let's do the next best thing, which the government has the power to do. Let's tax them into impossibility. So they're technically legal, but they're practically illegal. The idea being that there would be a crazy tax of $200 per gun. 
And when I say guns, I don't mean rifles. I mean all guns, handguns, shotguns, rifles. Let's put that into perspective. Yeah. When was that $200 tax implemented? That was implemented in 1934. Yeah, which would make it about $3,000 right now. So imagine going to the store when the price of a firearm back then was $25, like a decent firearm. And then having to pay a $200 tax on a $25 firearm. Much like today, going to the store, buy a a decent firearm for $800, bucks. Yeah. thereabouts. So just to give a little bit of perspective here, based off of a quick inflation calculator, and this is not shadow stats, so mm-hmm. it's probably worse than this. In 1934, $200 is the equivalent of $4,422 okay. today. So even more. Yeah, I was I, when I did the bath real quickly, it just looked like mm-hmm. about three grand. So four, four and a half grand, even better. So four and a half thousand dollar tax on what would be a few hundred dollar gun today. So you buy a, a Glock 22 for $600 for a pistol, and then the tax on that would be four and a half thousand dollars. So that was their sort of realization that it's going to be impossible to get an amendment to actually ban guns. So what can we do without having to go through the amendment process? Well, we have the power of taxation, so we can regulate it through taxation. And what happened was, and I'm abbreviating the story a lot, but there was just not enough support to ban handguns, which was the ultimate goal because handguns represented the majority of the guns used in cities. And the reason that we even have a ban on short-barreled rifles rifles and short-barreled shotguns is because making those short-barreled would be a way to turn them into what was the original target of that legislation which were pistols. Well, the idea the, was that if pistols aren't allowed, then you shouldn't be able to take your allowed shotgun and chop off the stock and the the barrel and turn it into a shotgun pistol without paying this crazy amount of money. Well, and also the NFA originally was not going to ban any firearm that had military use. That was also a big part of the politics of even getting it through was it was not to remove military use firearms. So the reason why the short barrel shotgun thing stood, even though during World War One there was a trench gun that was used that was essentially a mm-hmm. short barrel shotgun, is because when the court case went to the Supreme Court, the guy who had brought the case was no longer with us, and essentially only the government side of the story was told. So mm-hmm. the NFA has never had a serious Supreme Court hearing. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And so, again, what... I just want to kind of wrap this up in the bow and is that the original aim of the NFA was neither preventing people from having short rifles because that makes no sense. A short rifle is a worse rifle that that's just empirically true, but it only does make sense in the context of history, which is their goal was to make all handguns go away or at least be Expensive enough that only super rich people could afford them or people that had special licensing from the state to have them as part of their jobs. 
And so when they lost the battle on handguns, they didn't give up the battle on things that could be shortened to make them more like handguns, a.k.a. rifles and shotguns. Now, the machine gun portion of it, I think that was tied more to the uh, the war on the, the mafia because mm-hmm. machine guns were always been much more expensive than regular guns because it's not just a matter of changing out one part and you're good to go. Machine guns have to be made to be able to work under much higher temperatures. The quality of the work, the quality of the parts has to be substantially better. And, you know, they're going to be more prone to accidents that result in physical, you know, damage to the people using them, not just the gun itself. If you have something that is poorly made or made to simply be a single shot gun and then converted into something that's shooting 1100 rounds per minute. Yeah. Quick Two things on that, you know, the the manufacturing ban didn't come into play till '86, so there's that. The so machine guns could be made and sold to civilians up until 1986. The that's when the real ban on machine guns, if you will. Well, that's that's started. an actual ban. What I'm talking yes. about is this original the idea of using the tax, because nobody in 1934. I think envisioned that the government could simply ban something like a machine gun, even, even as far as the machine gun and that the people would stand for it. Like they knew they there would have. be another, another revolutionary war in the United States if that yeah. happened. And, and this is, this is that Overton window moving where, you know, what one generation tolerates the next accepts. And that's a problem. I don't know if I've told the story or not. And then I've got a question for you, but mm-hmm. My great-grandfather, World War I veteran, was working at Magnolia Oil. In fact, I think I have. But he, they said, Bill, you can't bring your gun to work anymore. You can't wear your gun to work. He was a few years away from retirement, and he ended up quitting instead. So he left behind a pension and everything because he was not going to not carry his gun. And, you know, it, it's amazing to me how we've come full circle and I think about what he would think of the world today. You know, I think he'd be pretty ashamed of where we're at. I think everybody would be. Yeah. It's, it is pretty, pretty shameful to what the, the last few generations have allowed things to get to. Yeah. So Gene, let me ask you this. When did the tax stamps start having to go through background checks and law enforcement approval? Because I don't believe that was in the original NFA. That was not. No, no, no. I think no. you that could go to the about... post office and buy the tax stamp at the exactly. time. Exactly. That came out, that came about during the 1960s and resulted in the Gun Control Act of 1968. Because part of what that Gun Control Act needed to do was to clarify and put some parameters around exactly how far do the activities of the tax collectors need to go? And, and so, again, what we have is a history of very few, very few words, in fact, written as actual laws, as legislation, mm-hmm. and a tremendous amount of money and a big department that has been empowered by both Republican and Democrat presidents and Republican Democrat controls of the Senate and the House to essentially do their own thing and treat regulations that come about at the whim of whoever is currently running the the ATF as though they're laws. It's you know it's a, it's a scary thing, but when we look at a couple of recent Supreme Court decisions, I think there's hope. 
So when we look at Dobbs and we look at some of these others that have come out that essentially say, you know, for the Second Amendment, there has to be a history of regulation and tradition of regulation based off the time the amendment was written. And then also another ruling, I'm blanking on the name of it, that essentially says Congress cannot delegate its authority to make law, meaning Mm -hmm. all these regulatory instances where the EPA or the ATF come up with, you know, regulations in addition to what Congress passed. So an example, Health and Human Services, when Obamacare was passed, there were tons and tons of parts of the law that said the secretary of HHS shall create Legis, you know, regulation. Well, mm-hmm. essentially that's been knocked back. So now we just need some Supreme Court cases to go up and challenge it. The problem is, you know, people aren't really willing to put their life and their liberty on hold to challenge this. And, you know, quite frankly, we're going to have to have a few martyrs who stand up and go do that and go do it's, that. It's worse work. than that. It's not just people not willing to spend a million plus dollars. It's, oh, dude, it's a million's that, a very low number. Yeah. Yeah. This. Well, millions, but. It's also that the machine does not let people do that. Mm-hmm. Meaning, this has happened a number of times to cases that could have affected the NFA in the past is that when they get up to a certain level of review, the ATF simply drops charges or settles the case and immediately files a no, no standing provision with the courts saying this there, there is no case anymore because the original the original a trigger for the original point for the case no longer exists and therefore removes standing. And, you know, that's, and it uh, prevents it's a technique to simply prevent <laughs> cases from trick. going to the Supreme court. Well, it's cheating, but it's legal. I mean, it, there's nothing stopping them from doing it. And they've been doing it for literally the last 45 years. Yeah. Well, uh, we every need time a, cor- a case gets too close. Well, what would be good is for somebody to have a standing that is unremovable. So effectively, it has to be a state, not an individual that ends up suing them. It um, has to be a state which is affected by a regulation in a matter that if that, like there, there shouldn't be a way to settle or for them to remove charges. It has to be a state basically that comes up with a way saying that they're they're taking revenue from the state that belongs to the state or something, some weird way. And I'm just pulling stuff out of thin air, but there has to be a case which prevents them, precludes them from making the other party lose standing as a result of the ATF backing down. Yeah. So one thing that I think could trigger that outside of a state in Texas with the suppressor law, I think is getting a pretty good push there. But if you had additional people like manufacturers of suppressors under the Texas law saying a suppressor made in Texas can be legally bought and sold as long as it stays in Texas borders because the government has no right to regulate commerce inside of Texas. So if you have a manufacturer that does that or a manufacturer that say, hey, I'm going to violate the 1986 ban and I'm going to build something. Not that Mm -hmm. I'm advocating this and this is not legal advice. But that person would likely be in a position where the ATF could not back down. But Mm -hmm. they're also in a position to get royally screwed by said ATF too if it goes the wrong way. Well, the ATF has already done that in Texas and the way that you deal with somebody without backing down is simply to burn them and their children and their wives' houses to the ground, and in fact, their entire church, because that'll teach them. Yeah, when they could have arrested him at Walmart. 
And what we're talking about, obviously, is the, what was the name of the guy? Uh, David Koresh and the Branch Koresh, of Idiots yeah. in Waco. Yeah. You know, it, it's sad. I, I've gone to Mount Carmel, and, you know, there's nothing there at this point. And by the way, mm-hmm. the Branch Davidians are still in the area. They're still a thing. And I'm not saying David Koresh was a good dude or anything else. I heard uh, a song he did. He was actually not a bad singer. You know, I, I there I thought about making some jokes regarding him and Tim Pool at one point, but I'll leave oh. it there. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but anyway, regardless, even if you think that he was a horrible human being, one, he never faced any charges around the allegations of sexual assault. So there's that. The only charges and the reason why the ATF went in there was around firearms. And, you know, they said, we've got to go get him. We've got to go do this. Well, he went to, it was very predictable. He went to the Walmart every Saturday morning. He was out there. He was out jogging, walking there many times when they could have picked him up. Yeah. And they didn't have to do it that way. And I'm sorry, but watching the footage and looking at it, the, the FBI and the ATF fired first. Absolutely. Also, they used tanks against American civilians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there. I remember watching that live when it was happening, and back then, it was not. I don't think. It seemed strange that there would need to be this much of a buildup to simply serve a a warrant or a uh, yeah an arrest warrant for somebody. I mean, it's kind of like, isn't the goal here to just get him to come to court? Because it sure didn't seem like that was the goal. It seemed like the goal was for them to destroy that entire religion. The goal was to take a group of what the government saw as dissidents in the crazy patriot movie. Well, and you got to also remember and put this in context that this is after Ruby Ridge. Right. So the patriot movement and lots of subdivisions thereof were organizing and were, you know, conducting training and doing different things. And this made the Clinton administration very, very nervous. Mm. And literally, I think they chose the Branch Davidians, A, because Koresh was a little kooky. I've watched some of his sermons and looked at things, and I I don't think he was saying— careful now, you're going to implicate yourself. No, I, I, dude, I've also also read Mein Kampf. That doesn't mean I think Hitler's a good guy. Okay, I've also read Das Kapital and lots of things. You know, that's this. You, oh, I think no, no, it's no. you should important. leave it up to your betters to interpret that for you. Huh. Anyway, you know, watching some of Koresh's sermons, and you know, the government line at the time was, "Oh, he thinks he's the Messiah. He thinks he's the second coming." Mm-hmm. That's not what he says. He calls himself Messiah. Mm-hmm. He talks about saving his flock, mm-hmm. but. Based off of you know King James and looking at Strong's Concordance and everything else, you know when we're called to be fishers of men and so on, that's mm. literally the same sort of language that's being used there. So for him to say I am a Messiah is not crazy. It's him saying I'm trying to save people. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to bring them to my what I believe is my religious views. That's very different well, than saying than I'm the second I, coming I think, of Christ. I think a Messiah in in it has to include the fact that it is not him as just a person making rational decisions that rather he has been inhabited by and guided by Holy Spirit. 
I, I, agreed. But my, my point is, he was not, the government's claim was that he was saying he's the second coming of and Christ, even if he and that was, was ludicrous. What? How does that automatically mean you have to shoot the guy with a tank? The, well, but uh, they were. How is the, the coming of Christ in the U.S. turn into the biggest raid on a, a U.S. citizens in the history of the U.S.? Yeah, but the the parallel and the, the the propaganda that the government was issuing at the time was trying to tie him more like Jim Jones, and you know this is a crazy cult. That's what they were trying right. to do. And when you look back at it, they were a little kooky, but I wouldn't put them in the same category. Yeah, and I think crazy cults are sort of self self isolationary. You yeah. know, they like the guys with the Nike shoes that were waiting for the Haley's Comet to come by. Well, and yeah. you know, it's a cult. They. Are the people who wear Adidas tracksuits? Or <clears throat> now that's a country. That's not a cult. <laughs> that's an entire nation with sovereignty. The Adidas tracksuit nation, if you will. Uh huh. Yeah. You better watch it, there, boy. You, you know what's funny about this entire thing? It's not really funny, but it's it's disparaging and sad. Is that the sheriff at the time knew knew the Davidians, knew them well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Waco is a pretty conservative area. It's, it's even to this day, you well, know, there's still a lot has of billboards up there for life begins its conception. Well, sons of Confederate veterans still have a Confederate battle flag, our battle flag of the army of Northern Virginia flying right off I-35. The John Birch Society has a pretty active chapter there. I mean, it's a conservative area. Anyway, the sheriff knew the Davidians pretty well. And one of his arguments at the time that he made on the local news media is this didn't have to happen. They could have handed me the warrant and I could have walked up there and he would have walked out with me. Absolutely. Yeah. Which incidentally is exactly how the game Far Cry 5 starts off when you're a deputy and you're showing up to deliver a warrant and take the leader of a religious group in with you. And it doesn't go so well. Well, anyway, when the ATF showed up, they did so in a very bombastic way. I, I truly believe they fired first. You had the same sniper who killed Randy Weaver's wife and son involved. You know, it was just a bad, was bad Asian scene. guy, right? Yep. God, I'm going to butcher his name. I'm trying to remember what it was. Anyway, people can Google it. It's he, not a good, not a good dude, sir. Uh, no. That was the guy who shot. Red no, that's, yeah. That's no, no, just so happened it was up. the same guy. <laughs> he was on the you scene. know, it, you know, it I remember Saturday be. Night Live did a, a bit many years ago back when they were actually funny on, or man, no, it wasn't Saturday Night Live. What am I saying? It was Mad TV did a bit. Oh, Mad uh, TV, They actually man. were funny. They were very politically incorrect for almost their entire run. They did a bit on Zapruder. You know, the guy who filmed mm -hmm. the Kennedy assassination and like discovering all these other little eight millimeter films that the guy filmed. Mm -hmm. And they had like the, I mean, it, I can't remember what all of them were, but there was like a dozen different assassination going all the way back to the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> like the guy just happened to have been at each of these locations with his yeah. camera running. You, you know the history of the Lincoln assassination. Yeah, what's coming to him? <laughs> agreed. But John Wilkes Booth was not a lone actor. There were actually others who were supposed to take out Grant at the same time. Really? Pussied out. Hmm. Well, that'll, that'll happen. Yeah. So it was supposed mm -hmm. to be a coordinated attack. Hmm. I was not aware of that. Yep. 
So what was the goal then? To to decapitate the tyrannical monster of then the quote-unquote legitimate United States government that Mm -hmm. not only waged a illegal war, but suspended habeas corpus to prevent Maryland from seceding and jailed political opponents illegally and without charges. And oh, also then occupied states that it said had been in rebellion, made them rewrite their constitution and prevented them from electing any persons or people that they saw fit, which I actually think the assassination of Lincoln probably made reconstruction worse. Mm. And what people have to realize is that a lot of the racial tensions that exist in the South and were paramount by the 1920s was really the height of racial tensions in the South were Mm -hmm. caused, caused absolutely directly by reconstruction and what was done. Well, the, you know, the victors get to write the history books. Yeah. And, you know, there, there are some people who try and present ancillary views to history and they always get labeled crazy. David Irving is a great example, which I'm not saying David Irving's histories of World War II are completely accurate, but, you know, he, his first work when he was talking about the firebombing of Dresden was not even questioned. It's Mm -hmm. only when he got into motivations of the war and questioning some of the narrative around the Holocaust that he got labeled as, oh my God, a Holocaust denier and a horrible person. All I know about World War II history and Reconstruction in the South, I have my opinions on the South more because I have family diaries and family history. So I tend to believe that more. But my opinion on World War II and the Civil War and Reconstruction especially is that all I know is I've not been told the truth. Yeah, that's true. So I'm... On my bookshelf, one of the things that my parents gave me that is pretty interesting, it was written in the 1890s, is is a volume of War of Rebellion. And it's nothing Mm -hmm. but the historical records from the time. So what I have is the, and this is a first first draft or a first uh, printing original copy uh, that's pretty rare. But anyway, the one I have is the Army of Northern Louisiana, their correspondence and orders at the time. And it's... Mm -hmm. 2,000 pages long. It's nothing Mm. but that. And you start reading through there and you get a pretty good idea of what was going on. And, you know, it's it's not propagandized. This is what the armies were saying back and forth. Well, and I think I told you what I remember seeing at at my parents' house when I was a kid was a kind of a coffee table book that was newspaper articles. So it was basically, you know, photographs of the front pages of newspapers in the South before and during and right after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And so it was it was a sort of Civil War from the perspective of people living through it rather than Civil War academically after the fact. Well, and, but keep in mind with that, newspaper yeah, up until... So of the, course, it's always yeah. going to be biased. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no matter what side. But... But I think that's true of anything. I mean, reporting what the orders were is probably about as unbiased as you can get. But virtually anything that anybody describes an event as is going to imply a certain amount of bias from their perspective. That's why I always kind of, with a big smile on my face, always refer to the American Civil or the the Civil War as the the War of Northern Aggression, because I think you could definitely argue that that's what it was. But more importantly, it's, it's just the, you know, I, I like making people feel uncomfortable. So 
well, it, you know, it's the the end result of saying that that for me is the end goal, not whether that was accurate or not. Yeah. So on that bias note, one thing I will say that this was something that from my formative years really stuck out and has stuck with me. When the U.S. invaded Iraq in 2003, the headlines on CNN and uh, You mean the Fox second time News. the U.S. invaded Iraq? Yes, second time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The headlines on CNN and Fox said, War in Iraq. And Al Jazeera had War on, mm -hmm. War on Iraq. That's literally mm -hmm. one letter difference, but an mm -hmm. entirely different meaning. Yeah. <clears throat> and it wasn't even the war on Iraq as much as I think it was a war on on the Middle East in general. I think that there was a lot of a lot of pent up, maybe not very well pent up frustration from 2001 and the I think majority of the US public would have supported a war with any of those countries. Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, whatever the country the government said was responsible, the American public would have been right behind yeah. and happy to go kick some ass. Take yeah, some well, all, all I can say is WTC7, and at the very least, our government allowed it to happen if we're not absolutely involved. And when you think of the fact that the hijackers, you know, some for Saudi all of them Arabian. were Saudi, Saudi Arabian, Arabian, yet we didn't go there, you know. And the only planes allowed to fly in U.S. airspace immediately thereafter were Saudi Arabian planes. The bin Laden family got out. Not just. There was an, a lot of planes that... Uh, but I'm just saying the, they're not Saudi Arabian, so the bin Ladens did get out. Bin but, Ladens are Saudi Arabian. What are you talking about? Okay, the bin Ladens reside in several countries, but sure. The bin Laden family is a direct relative of the current ruler of Saudi Arabia. Okay. The bin Laden family are Saudis. Yeah. And, you know, the Bin Ladens and the House of Saad and the Bush family were real tight. Bush Family of Secrets oh, yeah. is a great book that outlines the relationship there. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, and, you know, of, people, people who sit there and say, oh, the government would never do that and Bush would never be involved with something like that. You got to remember that his grandfather literally tried to overthrow the government. Prescott Bush was part of a cabal that was going to try and stage a military coup of the U.S. government in the 1930s. Mm -hmm. That's not yep. fiction. That's not debatable. Smiley Butler, because of that Marine and him saying no and uncovering it, is the only reason that didn't happen. They chose the wrong Marine Corps general to try and use to prop up and have a military coup in the United States. Well, they figured out another way. Granted. <laughs> And, and and great grandkid. Yeah. No, it, it's, I, I think it's, the thing that people have to remember is that when somebody becomes well-known, whether it's as a politician or a movie actor or the Queen of England or anything, ultimately they're humans and their human foibles and personality traits, negative some of the time, maybe positive some of the time, they don't disappear. They're still there. So we we hope that for one type of position, at least in this country, that people are able to control their personalities, and that is judges, because we want them to be as impartial as possible. But, but even you look at the, the amount of judges 
that allow their emotions and their personalities and their biases to end up altering the, the way that they rule. It's it's very visible all the time. If just most recently watching the Alex Jones case, mm-hmm. that judge had a, a seething just <laughs> she was a hatred, prosecutor. A hatred of Jones. Yeah, she was she was doing more of that work of the prosecutor than the prosecutor was. That and I'm sure in her mind she was completely in control and you know, I'm sure if she does an interview in the future, she'll say, yeah, it was really hard for me to try and be as impartial as I was, but I think I succeeded because I was able to separate my personal disdain for this absolutely horrible man responsible for so much hatred in the world from my job as a judge. Well, to those of us watching, no, you did a horrible job separating those two. I'm going to make a red book prediction. What's that? As soon as she's off the bench, Mm -hmm. book deal. I guarantee you she's going to write a book. She probably already has a book deal. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, remember that, you know, while people convicted of a crime are not allowed to profit on book deals, Mm -hmm. people that were involved in catching them and prosecuting them absolutely get book deals. I remember that with Kevin Mitnick. Oh, yeah. Have you ever met him? Kevin? Not really. I mean, I've been in the same event with him. I maybe stood 10 feet away, but I've never talked to him. So Kevin Mitnick was a somewhat of a childhood hero for me. Mm-hmm. You know, Does anyway. Thick glasses as well? No, actually, I, have, oh, okay. I don't wear glasses at all. So <laughs> I have actually very good vision. Thank you. But no, Mitnick was definitely a, a hero of mine reading about his exploits. And, you know, it, Kevin Mitnick is not a technical guy. He, he really mm-hmm. isn't a hacker. He's a social engineer. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway. Yeah. No, that was totally true. But do you remember the the whole story of the why he ended up getting caught? I maybe don't remember the details on exactly why he got caught. I remember the details around the phone freaking and the exploits and things like that. I don't know that I remember the details on why he got caught. Yeah, well, he got caught because he made fun of a security professional. And the thing that you have to remember is a security professional, unlike a hacker or a security interested person mm-hmm. has a multi-million dollar budget behind them <laughs> and he can use that budget to do things that most people can't so in the sense i think that was the misjudgment that kevin had was that i i think that was more true in the 90s i think there's a lot more control yeah. uh, now i mean i had a pretty damn big budget working for the company i worked for and mm-hmm. i was pretty constrained on the types of tools and activities I could use. Now, that said, I, at one point in time, I had, at, before I left, I had 35 contractors reporting to me that I could direct to do anything I wanted. Mm-hmm. And they were all, and when I say contractors, I'm not talking low-level IT guys. These were pretty high-end. At least three of them I would put in that world-class category. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, well... The, the point of a big budget is it allows you to buy airplane tickets. It lets you do things that most people aren't going to spend money to do. Oh, yeah. I, um, yeah. So, it, you know, in, in the end, it became easier to set him up and then make sure that the feds were there rather than, you know, the feds actually getting him on their own. Yeah, I don't know why there wasn't a Kevin Mitnick movie. You know, you've got Catch Me If You Can and stuff like that. Yeah, I think it would there, be a good There probably one. will be. I'm there was sure a made-for-TV one in the 90s, but that doesn't really count. No, no, no. But I remember all those free Kevin stickers and everything. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. That was a that was a thing. Yeah, and I, I think that a lot of a lot of what people learned from him was well, maybe not a lot, but <laughs> some of the things they learned from him was that just because someone's wearing a uniform doesn't mean you should believe them. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I've definitely used some of his social mm-hmm. engineering techniques and some pen tests in the past. Yeah, It's a good absolutely. way to get initial foothold. And if you think about it, modern fishing is just an extension of what he did early on, especially the oh, targeted yeah. stuff. But Yeah, definitely the case. And there's, I mean, some of this stuff I think is somewhat obvious, but some of it was definitely kind of brought to the forefront by Kevin and a lot of the other people that specialized on really doing social engineering rather than being technically good. So Gene, have you mm-hmm. ever read None Dare Call It Conspiracy? No. So for Is this anyone, the book of the week? Well, it's an old recommendation of mine. So okay. if you read The Creature from Jekyll Island is a more detailed account and it's mm-hmm. way thicker and will probably make your eyes glaze, glaze over because of all the facts that are presented to you. Mm-hmm. But it, it's kind of like Anthem for Ayn Rand. None mm-hmm. dare call it conspiracy is a good introductory book to to that. It was put out actually in the 70s before The Creature from Jekyll Island or anything else. And it's, it's a it, it was detailed denounced as a conspiracy theory and everything else, but, you know, very much proven to be true. And given the economic times we're in, anyone who doesn't understand the current fiat fun coupon world we're living in really should go read None Dare Call It Conspiracy and then move on to The Creature from Jekyll Island. Because What's it about? Well, it's about the Federal Reserve and the Federal Reserve Act and how the central banks are debasing our currency, how mm. every dollar of you, every dollar right there, it's every, their currency. It's not our currency. Well, it is. And every dollar that is in existence today is backed by debt. So if you mm-hmm. were to pay off all the debt that is owed in U.S. dollars, mm-hmm. you would have no U.S. dollars. Yeah. Well, that's literally, correct. I it mean is, that It's a zero sum system. Yep. Yes. That's so, the way it's and what what is insane is when you look at our foreign aid and our foreign aid packages and the reason why we're propping up re- regimes through the IMF and everything else, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's a pretty big departure from the Bretton Woods Agreement. And really, it was Nixon that kind of broke the U.S. part of the Bretton Woods Agreement. Mm-hmm. But we continue to use U.S. dollars in the IMF. And it it's all resulted in us being in a very interesting position. And I yeah. say all this as to preface that Russia and China are now officially rolling out their new currency that is going yep. to be backed by precious metals and rare earth elements. Right. Well, you think about it, really what fiat currency is are a, a bunch of IOUs. And it's a it's actually kind of ingenious if you think about it, because rather than being a system that is backed by something that everybody wants, it is a system that is backed by something that everybody promises. So it, it, it can be expanded infinitely and does not require for there to be an infinite amount of precious metals or anything else available in order to keep expanding the system. I think it's a really cool system. I think <laughs> that it's the problem is most people don't understand how it works. And I think if you understand how it works and what it is, it, it is a cool system. It's a neat design from a, you know, from a math standpoint, you've got to appreciate it as well. 
because what we're doing is we're much like blockchain is a neat system. This is a neat system of being able to have a bunch of transactions that are tied to other transactions and could not exist without those other transactions previously happening. Because as you quite rightly said, if all the, all the loans are paid off, the system has zero in it. So the interesting thing there, though, is in history, anytime you've had fractional reserve banking, and at this point we're beyond that, there is no fractional reserve. You inevitably fractional reserve banking. I'm sorry? Infinite fractional reserve banking. Yes, exactly. The problem is you end up with too much money chasing too few goods. You end up with inflation, and the house of cards ends up collapsing on itself. And, you know, we during the Weimar Republic, the day over day, the height of inflation during the Weimar Republic was 40 some odd percent. So you go by 22. Right, but we're getting close. This is my yeah, point. That's exactly right. We're so the Weimar Republic, right the day-over-day inflation rate was 40%. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you paid a dollar for a loaf of bread, the next day it would be a dollar forty, mm-hmm. and so on. That's where you end up with wheelbarrows of money to go pay right. off something. That's where you end up with African republics having a billion notes or Koreans and the yen mm-hmm. you know, being what it is. Well, that that's true. The I think inflation it has some pros and it has some cons. But I think that under if you maintain the system working not free form but actually as a control system, then the the fiat currency system I think is a pretty. I don't know. I'm I'm not gonna say like. Yes, we should have it. I think the gold reserve is a cleaner, simpler system that everybody can understand. Or some other precious commodities doesn't have to be gold, some other commodities in general. But the fiat system in the way that it's it's implemented with a control in place, I think is very elegant. So what I'll say is I will agree that in a modern world, a fiat currency can be – I'm going to piss off a lot of people here. So – one group knows nothing about the fiat system. The other group thinks the fiat system is just trash. And then you have the Bitcoiner, Bitcoiners who sit there and say Bitcoin isn't fiat. Well, it by, nef- by definition is. Yes, you have some proof of work and things that have to go through to create. Bitcoin is inherently deflationary, which I think is somewhat problematic because you don't want deflation or inflation. What you want is a stable currency. And if you maintain your currency at positive, negative one to 2%, you're in a stable economy. Mm-hmm. And as long as that currency stays stable, that's fine. But all I can say is go look at the M1 money stock and look at the the rate of inflation of that's our currency. Beyond it's beyond hockey stick. It's beyond hockey stick, yeah. Although so, to be fair, that, that, that completely vertical segment that you see in there was actually a change in, in definition, not, uh, not it, a... Uh, it was a change in the rules around checking, yes. The savings, yeah. Yes, savings accounts basically mm-hmm. being able to use, be used as checking. And the M1 money stock talks about money in circulation. So not invested, not mm-hmm. n- not locked away. Now, the savings accounts can be used this way. But like if you have something in a CD or something that has you, – you can't right. access that money for it's a period of time. It is not counted in that. Yeah. So I, I – I, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe like savings in 401ks is not counted in that. 
it's part of the reason why you pay a penalty if you take it out before well, it's maturation. Well, for all but savings is now. Is now, yes. And that's yeah. where that vertical hockey stick came yeah. from, which yeah. how disappointing is it that with that rule change, that's all that it went up? <laughs> well, that's one way to look at it. That's true. This is, just this is how little money how, is in, yes, in savings. savings accounts don't really make a whole lot of sense. It's basically no. the most liquid form of investment that you can have. Because yep. what, what does it pay, like half a percent? If that, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I remember back an, uh, when they actually paid like five, six percent. But I remember two and a half as a kid. But, you know, I basically all I keep in savings is emergency monies. Mm -hmm. Everything else is in money market or something else or hard assets. So, yeah, keep keep enough to stay liquid. And that's about it. Tim Cass had an episode where they talked about the, you know, the. I guess it was based on an article that someone wrote where she honestly, they thought, admitted to the fact that as a liberal, she probably would only survive a week if there was an actual yeah, um, I saw that. civil war, right? And in that conversation, in that whole segment, they talked about, well, you know, what, how do you do it? And you got to raise your own chickens because Tim likes chickens and all that good stuff. And they were talking about how, well, you know, you can't use credit cards anymore. You, you So you got to have cash. And then people, well, cash isn't going to do you any good. You, really what you need are tradable commodities like ammo. Mm-hmm. Ammo becomes the new currency mm-hmm. in in the collapsed economy because it's actually Chocolate. usable. Salt. People want it. Yeah, salt is another one. Salt isn't like you can't live without salt. You can't Cigarettes, store food without tobacco. salt. You don't need tobacco. So some there's people a, will need it. <laughs> well, those people, I guess, won't stick around for long. So there's a lot of alcohol. You're definitely going to need to trade some whiskey. Mm-hmm. For sure. But the one thing that never came up, and I, I I, kept waiting for them to mention it and see how they would address it, and it never came up, is Bitcoin. Because Bitcoin is completely useless when there's no electricity. When there's no internet. I mean, there's even no, if you it, have yeah, electricity, no internet, if you don't no have the network. Well, they were talking about a state where there's no running water. So this is well yeah. beyond no internet. Yeah, there's no way to update the ledger. There's no way no, to have a transaction. You're done. So that's why I, it's hilarious to me every time somebody and and again, I buy Bitcoin on a regular basis. I'm a buy and hold guy. It's never going to get sold unless it hits a million per Bitcoin. That's my sell point. So it's basically never going to get sold because mm-hmm. Bitcoin is not likely to ever hit a million. So consequently, like even though I buy it, I buy a little bit of it every month, but that's to me, it's like buying a lottery ticket, right? You don't buy them expecting to win. You buy them because it makes you feel good to feel like you have a chance, maybe. That's the same thing with Bitcoin. And, and so you're, like you said, it, it has to require electricity. It requires the internet being operational. When we had our freeze for seven days, I had no power in Texas. Seven days with no electricity. Internet might have been working for the rest of the world. It wasn't working here. I couldn't do jack shit with any Bitcoin here. Mm-hmm. Well, what I'd say is that, you know, the people who say, oh, it's a hedge against inflation. Well, as we see inflation go up, what do we see? Price drops. Yeah. And, and the reason why is because there are people who are substantially leveraged in Bitcoin. And as Absolutely. things get they more expensive, then have to yeah. sell off. So then that naturally yep. drops the price. Yep. So Bitcoin is not magical. It, it is no. not a magical hedge against inflation. It is not a hard currency. You, you know what? But I think it could be a pretty price? decent fiat currency. What's that? The ruble. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, <laughs> I have to say that. Well, no, it, no. What I was going to say is fine it, art. 
fine art has not dropped in price at it, all. It will though. It will. No, because rich people, people that can afford to have a you know three hundred thousand dollar painting in their house, are not being affected in the same way as the average American is, who had maybe a thousand bucks of Bitcoin mm-hmm. and now needs a thousand dollars to pay for the car getting fixed. Because yeah, they can't I would say to buy, buy three hundred thousand dollars worth of ammo before you buy a painting, but whatever. You know, it's interesting though. I did see ammo depreciating now from its height. It's not, sure. a, not a good hold. When the shit hits the fan, we'll see. So I did see an interesting report that was showing that the ruble is becoming the strongest currency uh, and that's in problem. relative terms in Europe. I've, yes. I've, I've, I've watched a Russian news report talking about how the, whatever the equivalent of the Federal Reserve in Russia is, you know, the, the guys that, that are tracking all this stuff are very concerned about the fact that the ruble is so damn strong because they need it to be weaker to sell better. Yeah, to export. It, it's, it's, it's starting to hurt exports. Yeah. Yep. So another thing, have you noticed a few names coming up lately? You mean like common kids' names or what? No, no, no. Like names from the 90s. So with the Queen dying and mm. Charles III taking the throne. Oh, yes. The king. Yeah, well, I guess that'll take a while for the coronation. Well, he's still technically king at this point. But you remember the DJ in the UK, BBC? What was his name? The DJ? Yeah. I mean the 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 guy that was a child molester DJ? Or which yes, DJ? yes, yes, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. What was his name? I'm blanking right now. Yeah, I, was I know he was a child molester, so I know who you're talking about, but I, I can't <sighs> recall his name. What, what, what's okay? What's the point? What about Well, him? people are just waking up to this. So uh, this is a la Jeffrey Epstein. Charles's ties to Jeffrey Epstein are coming back. This DJ that I can't remember the name of, he wanted to be William's godfather at one point in time. This This man that I'm now blanking on his name, even though I was about to say it, he, he was convicted of 78 different what is it sexual molestations including the rape of an eight-year-old oh man i I gotta go to my google history would you like to share your entire google history with us (laughs) (laughs) dude i wouldn't share and well you say google i mean search history let me phrase jimmy Mm -hmm. savile jimmy savile that's the name i was looking for yeah so people are putting out all these memes and it's like where the fuck have you been? This was brought up mm-hmm. by Alex Jones and by everybody in fucking 2000, man. You know, people have to wake Alex up. Alex Jones should just wear a t-shirt that says Alex Jones was right. He should. He said, mm-hmm. he, he, underneath it should say, give it five years. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Jimmy Savile. Jimmy Savile yeah. is being brought up and being memed and it's gaining traction. And I I kind of wonder, you know, with the the queen, them finally admitting that the queen is dead. And who the fuck believes that she hung on to put in that last prime minister? I believe it. No. I don't know if she's dead right now. No. Come on, I think she's just retiring. No, you don't don't think that the lizard people live for at least 150 years? I I think she's been dead for a while. No. But, yeah. No, I'm... I'm, So Gene is now David Icke. I'm really not positive she's dead. So, Gene, so you're going the crackpot way now. Okay. I don't see how that's the crackpot way. I, I don't know. Well, show I me think proof. she's been dead show for me, a while. Show me a body. I don't see a body. Hey, well, they will here in a few days. They're going to be a big state funeral. plastic mock-up. <laughs> that's not going to be her. No, uh-huh. she's finally retired from that post. She's probably sitting in Bermuda or someplace. 
enjoying her <laughs> retirement years. Next 50 or 60 of them are on the Isle of Man. Yeah. There, <laughs> which, given there this go. conversation, people might understand is significant. Mm hmm. Uh-huh. Well, I don't know if that's such a great retirement place, but yeah. Anyway, so uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. But uh, you know, things that were brought up in my circles growing up, and things that I've known about for a long time, people are acting like are new revelations, and a whole new generation is getting. Um, well, that's the curse that up. you have that I have as well is seeing things early on. Before the majority of the people around have any clue whatsoever. And then they think we're the crazy ones. For a while. And then it's like, holy shit, you were right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They'll say, holy shit, you were right. That COVID thing. Yeah, it's totally government control. But this Ukraine thing. No, that's totally different. Nope. We're, <laughs> we're on the right side of this one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's just, I think in so many ways, a few things are coming to fruition that are just such jump-the-shark moments. The, that, the idea uh, that rich people would want to have sex with children should not be a surprise to anybody. Well, Because I, what, I don't, what does being rich mean? It means you get to break rules that society sets up without well, consequences. I, I think that a lot of the the pedophilia we see in the periphery around people like Charles in Jimmy Savile and Jeffrey Epstein, you know, they are the lower level people who got caught. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that if you look at, if you want to go full blown conspiracy theory mode, I think at the very least, even if they are not maps, minor attracted persons, I, I think that they are coerced into it as a control point. Yeah, I don't know how coerced they were in. I mean, I I think either you're into kids or you're not into kids. But I also have a, and I've talked about this before, I also have a problem with Americans just thinking that the American definition of 18 as an adult somehow is universal and should be taken forever. You know, when Epstein had, well, he had Bill Clinton on his island, what, 35 times? And when, when Bill on his was plane turning, 35 times, yeah. you don't know how many times he was well, on the Well, he never got off the plane, just like he didn't inhale. <laughs> well, I went there, but I didn't get off the plane. <laughs> it depends on what your definition of is, is. Is, is, exactly. But, you know, somebody, a rich dude having sex with a 17-year-old, I'm sorry, that's not pedophilia. That's a rich dude having sex with a 17-year-old. Well, and you know what I would say there is my grandmother. A 17-year-old is already sentient, for Christ's sakes. (laughs) So what I'd say is, you know, my grandmother got married at 16 and started having kids. I think that, you know. Her husband must have been a pedophile. Yeah, well, no, it was just the South at the time. You got that pedophilia gene in your genes, don't you? What I would say is that there's a line between... And, and, you know, again, the, the line being 18 is a little ridiculous. It's so arbitrary. Well, but you have to have an age of majority, and there has to be things tied to that. I don't know that sexual relations necessarily should, but where do you draw that line? Do you draw the line in age difference? So if a 50-year-old wants to screw a 20-year-old, is that a problem? You know, Hey, he, now. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> There's no problem at all with that, legally or morally. <laughs> it's the best way for the 20-year-old to get a free college education. 
<laughs> Screw your student loans. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, again, it's it's an it's a it's one of those things that there there has to be a social enforcement and that social enforcement needs to be important, but there has to be a bright line legally where you know it's okay or not. It's what being rich allows you to do is to draw your own line. Yeah, but again, I, I like you said, I I don't Prince Charles or Bill let's Clinton, say there's Joe no Biden. laws, there's no punishments, mm-hmm. you can do whatever you want, be totally hedonistic, and you just ask people on the survey. And you said, what? Like, just think back through your life. You know, if you're let's say you're a male, right? Mm-hmm. So hopefully you can remember back to what you felt like in your 30s, your 20s, your your teen years. At which point in your life did did you want to bang like a 20-year-old? Okay. Well, give me an answer. I mean, pretend you, <laughs> pretend it's not the truth if that helps you sleep better. No, I mean, that I wanted to bang a 20-year-old? I don't know, since I was 12? <laughs> exactly. You, you Okay, 12, 13, right around there for uh-huh. most boys. That, and those ages could change over time, but at least in my recollection, right? That's when you started having those those posters up of Farrah Fawcett and stuff ba- yes. back in my day. I definitely had a, a Jerry Ryan poster at one point in time. There you go. There you go. Yeah, that that would be the equivalent. So, and Jerry Ryan, for those who don't age, know, was seven of nine. Star Trek mm-hmm. nerd. So, dude, body suit. I know, <laughs> I know, I know, right? And she hated it. I, I, as I he, loved it. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Apparently, that well, we could talk about Star Trek in another episode. But my point is, okay, so you're at 13. You are hot for you know 20 year olds in in movies, television, whatever. Knowing full well as a, a 12, 13 year old boy, you're never in in hell ever going to get to bang one of those. But you'd sure like to, right? So, what is wrong then legally with a 20 year old saying, "Yeah." I'll, I think you're kind of cute too. I'll bang you. Yeah, because there's, uh, I'm not fully developed and I can't make a rational decision on my own. What is the rational decision that is necessary for sex? It's literally the oldest interaction that we have as an animal that it, all our ancestors have had it, to be it, successful at. And this is, again, where that line falls is interesting. Now, I'd say that parental consent laws come into play here. You know, and yeah, it could be set up for abuse, lots of things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I would agree with you that the majority of the time, it's not actual abuse. But the problem if, is... What I, what I think is a problem is any kind of forced sexual relationship at any age. 100%. I don't care what age it is. 100%. You know, the, you, you got a grandma, you know, being forced to have sex with a, a you know, a 20-year-old uh, hunky that's dude. That's not going to happen. Yeah, unless she's got a lot of money. <laughs> But <laughs> well, then the coercion is on the other but direction. But is it coercion? So. No, it's not really coercion. So, uh-huh. so my, but my point is, you know, relationships that have that that are forced relationships are not healthy. They're not good, and potentially should be illegal. But well, relationships that are not coerced should have no problem. And then you're like, well, what about these predators? You know, like they know how to give the ki- the candy to the kids to entice them to have sex. Yeah, there's a problem there. I totally agree that that is absolutely the case. And I, I think that there ought to be protections for the children in those situations like that. But I, I can also tell you, much like you did, Ben, that, you know, as a healthy heterosexual 
13 year old boy, I, you know, I was getting hard looking at the hot bodies of 20 year olds. Hell yeah. Yeah. There's nothing that, should that so, but should society accept that is the question. But and why would it not is my question. Because it's rife for abuse. So is having a gun. Let's ban all guns. I think there's a big Same difference argument. there. Same and argument. I, we come from, all right, so when you look at the age of consent laws in Europe mm-hmm. and so on, they're drastically different than the U.S. Drastically different. I mean, Vatican used to be no, and then finally they bumped it up to 12. Yeah, irony but, but, of ironies. Anyway. That's no, a city full of full of people not having sex. Well, it's a city full of, you know, maps. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I, I would say, at, you know, at least I think we can agree that if someone has not had onset of puberty, that that should be at least a that's very hard line. genuine, yeah, that's genuine, you know, kiddie porn kind of territory. That's, that's you know, real pedophilia is pre-puberty. Well, and one Absolutely. could argue that there could be an overdeveloped 16-year-old that is, you know, more developed than a said 22-year-old as far as assets Absolutely that would be attractive well. and so on. And, but and the there, same there thing has with to be brains. The bright line there criteria, are 16-year-olds much more mature mentally than Very 22-year-olds. Very few. I mean, you, you, you're, 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 you're talking you're bell curve analysis. You're not one of them? Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, man, you know what? I, I've I've lived an interesting life. I, I'm very thankful for the experiences I've had in my mm-hmm. life, and a lot of them were before I was 20. And I, I I can recognize that that's true. But how do you apply bell curve statistics and those questions of variability to the law? I don't think you can. And that that's the problem I see there. Yeah. So should we have laws that are essentially trying to address the failures of parenting? Well, you know. <laughs> I can't convince my 16-year-old daughter not to have sex. She just refuses to. Hey, let's put a let's put a chastity law in place. I, I I get you there, but let me ask you this. So, how do you write the law to say that what's okay and what's not? Because I knew a girl the same way that I do it. You you have a contract. Okay. Well, I knew a girl in high school. So, when we're talking about the puberty thing, mm-hmm. that because she was an athlete and everything else, very low body fat. Didn't mm-hmm. have a period till after she was seventeen. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I just don't know how you write that law, man. That makes any sense. That you don't. You that's my point. Criteria. You're making my point. These are territories that need to be left to the parents, not the legal system. And I would generally agree that you cannot more you cannot regulate morality successfully. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how willing society is, or I am, for that matter, to take that to the nth degree. But. That said, this current generation just isn't having sex. So, you know, I I think this is well, that's a foregone not true. The, previous the boys aren't having thing. sex. The girls are still having sex. Oh, no. No, no, no. They are well, they so are. less interested. Well, in the boys their age, yes. There's a big no. drop-off in general, man. Of of interest in sex with completely feminized males. Yes, that is true. <laughs> there, There's lots of stuff. I mean... The actual age of loss of virginity is in, is instead of like previous generations declining. This one's actually growing as the for males. It's over twenty now. Uh, no, it's not. It's higher than that. Average age it's, is it's, like twenty. It's higher than 26. over twenty. What's higher than over twenty? Math major. I, I'm saying it's not like twenty. I'm moving. I the said needle it's further. over twenty, and you're okay, saying no, yes. it's not. It's more than that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's more than uh, over the age twenty. Could be hundred based off of that statement, but 
the it's sentiment a true of statement. your <laughs> It is a true statement, but that's like saying, yeah, you know, it um, used to be under 20 back in the day. Yeah, absolutely. But now mm-hmm. it's starting to push closer to 30. Yeah. So, but again, for males, not for females. The, I think the age average is still moving upwards because, yeah, there's, oh yeah, yeah. I, there's I, some I of those it that is will moving up. It is moving deviate up. out. But, yeah. But it, there's just a lot less sex going what on there's than there a was lot when of, we were kids. A lot more of happening is males are just playing video games instead of having sex. They're just not having sex. Girls are playing some video games, but not as much. But what they are doing a lot more of is engaging in same-sex relationships and engaging in relationships with much older men who both have the money and the testosterone in them to be able to be interested in these girls. Well, and, you know, one of the things you're seeing in boys is, and you could track it up to testosterone or anything, but I see it in, you know, kids that I'm around, is just a dramatic, dramatic difference in attitude from when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's getting your driver's license at well, 16. Well, half of them are drugged out. Well, even those that aren't. By their parents. But even those that aren't, because I can think of several specific examples that obviously I'm not going to dox here, but, you know, will go do activities with their friends and things like that, but aren't really interested in the mechanical things. Or Or freedom. Or or, or girls, just, eh, Mm -hmm. nah, not worth it. You know, that Mm -hmm. not worth it thing comes into play a lot these days, which is Mm -hmm. a very interesting pattern of thought to develop. I I love video games. You know, I'm definitely a gamer. Mm -hmm. But I will say, I think that is an outcropping, a end result of a video game type mentality because it video games teach you a lot of things. Some of them, you know, are positive. Some of them are not so positive. One of the things that's not positive is they teach you that, that you can always, you know, after you die, you can always respond. You can do the, it differently the, next time. The complete fear of, of the one time and you're dead mentality that I had as a kid is gone for most of these kids because they think everything's a respawn and it's not in real life. You, you don't get to respawn in real life. That's yeah. a negative effect coming from video games. But one of the other ones, like you mentioned, is this idea that it, it really teaches people to start calculating the risk-reward scenarios on every single action they do. And then if you got to be honest about it, if you do the math on that, is it worth it to pursue a particular girl to the point of having sex with her? The math often says, no, it's not. Well, and the history has been that the majority of males throughout history have not been successful at reproduction. Exactly. The vast majority. It's been the top 20, 25% that are successful from a yeah. evolutionary standpoint and the top 30 that actually even do. So significantly less than half of all male, males throughout history reproduced. Yeah. And so maybe we're just seeing the the normalcy that was to some extent broken during the aftermath of World War II, where a lot of males died, and then, you know, there weren't many to go around, and women wanted to make sure that they grabbed the man while they were still one available, that we're going back to a point which historically has existed where the majority of males never reproduce. 
I hadn't considered it in that term that the death toll from war, not just World War II, but World War I, yeah. World War II, back yeah. to back, produced successive generations where there yep. were a lot fewer males. That is an yes. interesting point. It made competition be a lot more strong for the females, not, or for the males, I should say, by the females. Right. Yeah. Which, which, and, uh, which has historically not been the case. And Typically, to be clear, women. To be Go clear, ahead. human reproduction is inherently a female decision. It, it is yeah. the females choosing the males, not the other way around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Always always has been. It's not true for every species, but in humans it is, for sure. Well, and you could – Peterson makes this argument that you could say that the patriarchy or any competence hierarchy is a outgrowth of female selection and an outsourcing right. of that. It, that's absolutely true because for a hierarchy to exist, there has to be people that follow those rules. And the females are the ones that get to either follow or not follow those rules. Mm-hmm. And they absolutely do. The females place males in these hierarchical categories. It's not the males themselves. Mm-hmm. Males themselves mostly don't give a shit. I mean, I've sat and had chats and drinks with bi- literally billionaires. And I've had the, the, the same fun type conversations with guys that uh, live on the street that don't have a home. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, for most guys, you're quote-unquote social status doesn't matter. The only reason most guys live in big houses is because that's what the wife wants in order to appear like their lifestyle is successful. Mm-hmm. Most guys wear fancy clothes for the exact same reason. You know, cars may be one area where, you know, but also there are plenty of guys making 40, 50 grand a year that are really into their cars and have some amazing cars uh, versus guys making two hundred, three hundred thousand a year and just don't give a shit and just drive a Ford pickup truck. <laughs> Gee, thanks, Gene. What are you, well, I was referring to somebody else that we both know, but okay, uh, uh, that we both know, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm. But anyway, the point is that women, That's a pretty small for the social most part, <laughs> people we both know. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe. Yeah, I don't think you've ever met him, but you uh, certainly know of him. Okay. But either way, there are. There are plenty of guys that spend the money that they do completely based on the fact that this is what they either think or this is what they've been told that they need to do to make their woman happy. Mm. Well, and, you know, you have that entire saying of happy Without wife, women, happy life. there would be no wars. Guaranteed. I don't know about that one. Oh, absolutely. But, Women have you know, been the cause of every every war that's ever happened. Well, we know of at least one woman in history that was directly the cause of Helen. War. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. The face yeah. that lost a, launched a thousand ships. Yeah. Yeah. So no. before we get labeled this week in misogyny, <laughs> that's a great show title. This week in misogyny. Yeah. So we went from pedophilia to misogyny. Is that what we did? Okay. Pretty much. Yeah. All right. Oh man. You know, it's interesting. I was talking to a a, a friend of mine and PhD and everything else. And mm-hmm. Does he drive a truck? She and then mm-hmm. she, you know, very handy, wants to do stuff. And her father in law mm-hmm. just laughs at it and thinks it's ridiculous. And I'm like, oh, you know, I, she wants to do stuff. Like, what kind of stuff does she want to do? Like, go fix the dishwasher, take the tools and go fix it. She's the handy oh, one yeah. around her house, Girls not, not her husband. Kind of stuff. My yeah. favorite character, absolutely favorite character in the TV show 
uh, Big Love, which was uh-huh. a great TV show. If anybody hadn't seen it, Bill Pullman, is that the guy's name was in it? But my favorite character was the Chloe Semengi was the actress who played the character, the, the middle wife, because she was always the one doing all the handiwork. Like she was the one climbing the roof to fix some tiles that, that were broken. She was the one fixing the, uh, replacing the, the dishwasher, you know, like mm-hmm. she, she was definitely the jack of all trades wife. Well, I think and there are I, some I men who dream thinking, of man, that type of wife. I would love for my, yeah, like me right here, it's the hand <laughs> going up. I always enjoyed when, so, okay, here's the thing. I had to get past my, my security in myself to be able to do that. Because while there are certain, I think, genetically motivated aspects to being a male that makes you want to be the provider, makes you want to do things that will make your wife go, oh, thanks for doing that. Mm -hmm. And the protector and all that. Yep. Yeah, all that. And I definitely experienced that. And then then I, you know, was married for enough years to go, yeah, that's fine. You can fix it. And uh, that, when I watch the TV show, I'm like, oh, he's got the perfect life. He's got three wives. And each one specializes <laughs> in a different thing. This Dude. is ideal. This is this is really what we ought to have, and we yeah. will probably have because, you know, with the 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 results of mRNA vaccines sterilizing people, I think we're going to end up in the situation where once again we have a constriction based on human factors that limits the population growth. So we may very well get to that point. You know, I had a thought the other day. So what's that? What, before I give my thought. You thinking that having three wives would be paradise is insane to me. I think one is more than enough. But That's, anyway, you're thinking of it wrong. You're thinking from a satisfying <laughs> her perspective. Uh-huh. I'm thinking of it from a completely hedonistic, hedonistic, satisfying me perspective. Yeah, until they all sync up. Anyway, so with the mRNA shot, yeah. and you look at liberals and their just insanity. You know, if you read Margaret Atwood's The Handmaiden's Tale, that shot could have been the impetus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, it kind of makes me wonder if there is not this sick element to to the people who often prescribe, you know, it, it's, it's what you say about yourself is uh, what you say about me is what you say about yourself. Yeah. What is it? The Handy Hoff? I don't know what the right, fuck is. Yeah, Dutch, I don't know the but, Dutch. But yeah. the, the, the point is, the the left, I won't call them liberals, because you and I are actually real liberals. But That's true. We are true classical liberals here. The, the, the There's this group of people who want to project onto Christians and onto the real liberals in the world this dominant submission and, quite frankly, masochistic worldview Mm-hmm. that I don't think we really have to an extent. I know you and I both have our own personal tendencies, but that's neither here nor there. But I'm talking about from a societal standpoint. And I don't know, man, a lot of the issues with that mRNA shot, it, it, it's just interesting because when you read the novel, it's an interesting parallel. So I've never read the novel. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the first movie. You mean the first season? In this. No, the first movie. What was the first movie? Have you never seen the movie The Handmaid's Tale? No. Oh, it's really good. It has a hot actress in it. 
Okay. Uh, so first of all, the phrase is, yeah, I'm not going to pronounce it. It has way too many l- letters next to each other that I am not sure how to pronounce. <laughs> what he zelf, zelf met Jacob door de health. Close enough. Yeah. What you said about yourself with your head in health. So I Googled that and it came up with, what is the Dutch phrase Adam frequently refers to? (laughs) That was literally the first Google thing. No, the movie, I think it came out probably late 90s. Okay. And it had Natasha Hendrickson in it, who's hot, or at least back in the 90s she was. Oh, holy shit. It came out in 1990. Wow. So it wasn't even in the late 90s. It was uh, literally 1990. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I thought that was a pretty good flick. I did not see the TV show, partly because I don't really like the actress that, that's in the main role. I just think she's super ugly. And I mean, she she's like Ocasio-Cortez. She's next door, you know. No, she's way uglier. Are you kidding? Don't be comparing her to AOC. AOC fucking hot compared to her. You have... <laughs> Dude, this chick looks like, type. like... She literally looks like the prototypical witch from the 1700s. She's got a completely asymmetric face with a small mouth, small chin, and uh, bulging eyes and a big crooked nose. Eh. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't see how you can compare that to the beauty of AOC who's (laughs) on the cover of Esquire magazine. Oh, my God. Because I just, I don't get it. I don't find, I mean, head down, sure, but... You just don't like the big booty Latina? No, like I said, head down, I'm good with. It's just, I don't think AOC is very good looking, in my personal opinion. I think she's adorable. Dumb as a box of nails, but she's adorable. (laughs) She is definitely, I I don't know that she's actually dumb. I think she's just very ill-educated. Yeah. I won't, I won't. You you think so? Mm -hmm. I mean, you think. Sub 90 IQ. I think I she mean, is. No, no, no. She's got a decent IQ. But she's yeah, just that's dumb. what I'm saying. Dumb doesn't mean stupid. Stupid is stupid. Dumb is just dumb. Like I said, ill educated. I think she is exact. Like if she wasn't doing this, if she wasn't like the most important political person of the 22nd century, she would probably be an actress in Hollywood. She'd be playing all the barista roles, the, the friend roles. You think she'd be the next JLo? She, well, early J-Lo. She, like, before J-Lo, all of a sudden somebody decided needed to get brought up into being the, the star of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she looks better than J-Lo, honestly. Could be just because she's younger, but I do think that <laughs> she looks better than J-Lo. Yeah, well, she's not that okay. young either. She's 30 now, right? She's 30-something. I think she's, I thought she's 30. Keep talking. Dig okay. that hole. I don't know how that's a hole. I don't. I don't understand how saying that somebody's a beautiful woman, she's thirty-two. Yep. How saying that somehow is bad. I just. I don't. I. I just don't find her. Did you not watch that video that she made, the music video in college? That's super cute. I'm gonna send you a picture of exactly why I don't think she's attractive. Okay, so you're probably gonna send me a picture that a a person shot shooting. 20 frames per second, super fast, and catching her with a weird mouth open thing or something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's you can get that picture of literally anybody. I probably can get that picture of you very easily. Probably. It's, it's not hard to do. And when people are in the public eye and they're constantly photographed, 
Yeah, but I wouldn't say I'm a good-looking guy, so, you know, there's that. Well, not compared to AC or not. He's a much (laughs) better-looking guy than you. I I completely agree. No. And, you know, I don't know. I've I've always liked chicks with eyebrows. Yeah, the overplucked look is not a thing for me. I hate it when they completely go bald in the eyebrow department. Yeah. It's like, look, there's a place for you to shave and it ate your eyebrows. Well, and not saying we want you to have a unibrow, but, you know. <laughs> well, no, no, that's a whole a different unibrow, thing. Unibrow does not look good on anyone. So, yeah. The uh, best unibrow that I've seen was when, what's that actress's name? Oh, goddamn. Hayek. Selma Hayek. Selma Hayek played, what was that movie where she played the chick with a unibrow? I have no idea. Oh, are you kidding me? It was, God, I can't believe I'm like completely zoning. Oh, Frida, Frida Kahlo. So Frida Kahlo had a total unibrow. And, but Selma Hayek is sexy, so you can buy, you can buy those two. Okay. Uh, do you know who Frida Kahlo was? No clue at all. Oh, she was a famous uh, Mexican artist. Oh. Yeah. Seems relevant. Oh, it's a, you said unibrow, so I had to mention a chick with a unibrow. You know, but it, 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 you say a Mexican artist that I would never have heard of in my life. But if I sit most here and say Alcubierre. At least most people that listen to public radio know who she is. Okay, so if I sit here and say Alcubierre, do you know who that is? It's a cigar brand. No, it's a Mexican physicist, but anyway. It's literally a cigar brand. Okay, well, his family also <laughs> does that then. I don't know. But Alcubierre is a Mexican physicist that, you know, posited how yeah, a the, warp it's drive works. Alcubierre drive works. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I know that. Okay. Anyway, so... I play Kerbal, goddammit. I know all about <laughs> flying in space. Uh-huh. So on back to guns, but in the personal realm, I yeah. finally got an optic on my pistol. Oh, I bought a new gun. But go ahead, talk about yours first. Yeah, so I ended up going with the Romeo 1, and before anyone tells me how horrible of a mistake I made, one, the slide was... Why would you make a mistake? Was, that's not a mistake. That's the, I, I don't isn't think that the is. one that comes with it, or the one supposed to be put on there by, yeah, yeah, from yeah. the factory anyway? Yeah, now the U.S. Army went with the Leopold, but the problem I have with the Leopold is the battery life. You know, when you're giving me less than a year battery life for something that I want to rely on, that's just not okay. So... The battery life for the Sigma Romeo 1 Pro that I've got is around 20,000 hours. So if I change the battery every two years, I know it's going to be ready into work. And uh, I looked at the Holosuns. I looked at I looked at Trigicon. I looked at all of them. And the problem I had with all the rest was, A, I'd have to put an adapter plate and getting height over bore even higher, which just didn't line up with what the way I shoot. So that wasn't an option. So it was really between the Leopold and the SIG, and the battery life was the des- defining factor. So, yeah. Anyway. But, I, dude, optics on pistols is a huge thing, especially for something you're going to carry. They're very common these days. I, I was shocked at how quickly that became a normal thing. But it's super, super useful. It, and if you don't believe me, go to a gun store, pick up a gun without one, and then pick up a gun with one, and it will blow your mind. I'm not a super great pistol shot by any stretch, but I'm decent. But the ease at which you can be very accurate with that sort of red dot and a pistol, especially at pistol distances, is just Mm -hmm. awesome. It's fantastic. Yeah. 
I also went no, with the <clears throat> I also went with the six MOA site versus the three. And my rationale there is, you know, I I'm, I don't want to be futzing with brightness, regardless of where what sort of situation I'm in. So, you know, the the problem with a three MOA dot in bright sunlight is if you don't have it the brightness turned up pretty good, mm-hmm. it's going to be mm-hmm. hard to acquire. So, anyway, hmm. that was the thought process behind it. But I'm pretty damn happy with the results. So, good. I, well, I don't know why you would think that I wouldn't be. Or I would at all be negative on this. No, I, I just know some people just hate SIG optics, but, you know, it's... I've got SIG optics. I, I like them. Yeah. I like that SIG is, even though they're made in China, they still give you a good lifetime warranty on them. Well, and, you know, several brands are doing that. Vortex is doing that, which Vortex has come a long way. I didn't way. know they had lifetime. They have lifetime? Yep, Vortex is a lifetime warranty now. Hmm. And, you know, the first generation of Vortex optics, I've talked about this before, were trash. I couldn't stand them. The eye relief sucked. My current Vortex that I do have on a gun, the one complaint I have about it is the eye box on that scope is not great. And that is a Hmm. huge departure from like a Leopold or something else. But it's Mm -hmm. also two grand less than I would spend on Leopold. And it has a decent warranty and fantastic glass otherwise. Hmm. Yeah, Leopold's so, not cheap. No, but I mean, shit, man. Growing up, I had a three three by nine Leopold on my thirty thirty. Right, it was just. Well, they used to be cheaper. Right, but it was also the de facto brand my dad and grandpa and everybody went to. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, it's it's probably the best American brand out there. Uh, yeah, uh, and you know, Leopold has done nothing but get better. And Leopold mm-hmm. and Burris in the nineteen nineties were pretty neck and neck. But now Burris has just fallen off to, you know, nothing. Yeah. And I, I think Leopold's gotten beyond Nikon quality. Oh, Leopold's up there with Zeiss. Leopold is absolutely up there with Zeiss. Well, I don't know about that. But, I do. Well, I don't know that I would trust you with that then, if that's what you know. Because Zeiss, Zeiss quality glass is just, there's nothing else like it. Schmidt and Bender. And, I mean, I've, I've shot a lot of guns with a lot of scopes. And... What I would say is Zeiss, actually, since their Conquest line and everything else, has come down mm-hmm. a lot. And Leopold has gone up a lot. And mm-hmm. I and he, here's the other thing. As far as feature sets, mm-hmm. let's take glass out of the equation. They're all pretty damn equal, right? It really yeah. comes down to glass. I think a few brands have, in fact, I think Nikon has a little more. Well, Nikon's no uh, longer making scopes. Yeah, but well, okay, fine. But they had a little more options in their scopes than some well, of the other brands. When Nikon was making scopes in the early 2000s, the fact that they did not become the def- I mean, they were inexpensive compared to, you know, Zeiss or something like that, and mm-hmm. they were awesome. I still have a couple Nikon scopes. I've got first focal plane and second focal plane Nikon scopes and well, that hold on glass. Those. They'll be going up and in the price. Why? Because they're not making them anymore. Right. But I I think people have moved on to other brands. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, but they're fantastic quality scopes. They were absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Like their Monarch and FX lines. Jesus, those are great scopes. I think I still have a couple of those, a couple of Monarchs. But I don't see anything wrong with using the SIG stuff. I don't think the SIG quality is quite as high, but they're they're having the lifetime, no questions asked. Warranty is good. 
because you know that I don't like I don't even have that on my Trigicon stuff. Yeah. Now to be clear, on the electronic optics like what I just got, it is a lifetime warranty for everything but the electronics. So, oh, the so glass, it's the same thing. That's the same thing. And the, I thought there was better than that. No. Yeah, so the that, glass the, and the housing yeah. and all that is under lifetime, but the electronics is only five mm-hmm. years. But still well, a five-year warranty. literally the same thing as a Trigicon then. Yep. Because that's, and, no, a Trigicon seven years and then lifetime on the glass and, and the physical uh, right. aspects. But their Which scopes. I, I think it's stupid. It ought to be lifetime forever. For the eh, price you yeah. pay for a Trigicon. Mm-hmm. It is crazy for them not to give you a lifetime warranty across the well, board. They're definitely taking a premium on that brand. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think I mentioned this in the previous episode, and I still haven't sent them in because I don't want to pay the money right now. But, like, I, I need to get the treating replaced on two of my ACOGs, and it's going to cost 700 bucks. Yeah, the previous episode that will actually for be episode zero, and you, the, new, mm-hmm. the timeline's going to get real screwy here, folks. That's right. <laughs> this is this is not the new show. This is still the old show. So. Yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, the prices are. So now I'm going to be in the dilemma as to which site to get on on my new gun as well. So what did you get, so, Gene? So, well, I actually got a couple of guns. But one, <laughs> I got one handgun and one rifle. Did you get the Adidas gun I sent you? I love that gun, man. <laughs> I I want that gun. I'm afraid that that would be a custom job to make, unfortunately. So but that I, would be a super cool gun to do. I sent Gene a meme off of No Agenda Social that was a, an Adidas tracksuit themed gun, and then beneath it, it has heavy Slavic breathing. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. That is an awesome. Yeah. No, I totally want that. That would be an awesome. It was awesome an AK 47, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, an AK 47 with white furniture. With the Adidas logo on the buttstock. Yeah. I'm like, you can't get better than that. <laughs> uh, that's like the Rolls Royce again. Mm-hmm. The, only, yeah. the only other thing you could do is... A golden if got, plated yep, Desert Eagle? If you, no, no, no. If you did like the barrel in, in gold, mm-hmm. that would be the only thing that would make it better. Well, the the barrel are the are the the furniture that wraps around the wood stock to hold it on, kind of like a gold mm-hmm. chain, you know, something like <laughs> <Gold> that. Chain. <laughs> That's no, no, the no. best addition. Gold and white is really the best combination of anything, any colors. That's an empirical fact. Everybody who's studied this knows this. That's just true, and it's just pure coincidence that my first car and every car I've had after that has been gold and white. Mm. Anyway, so what did you get? Anyway, well, I got a I got an IWI Masada, which cool. is a, a plastic. You actually gun. have it in your possession now. I do not. No, it's still in shipping. So I've ordered it. I haven't gotten it, which gives me some time to think about the optic. But mm-hmm. that gun, What's it much like for every freaking gun, is pre-cut. Mm-hmm. So it's it's pre-cut for optics, and it comes with four different plates, so you could put anything you want on there. Cool. What do you now, know? What it's natively pre-cut for, though. Without the plate? Uh, I do not, no. So, and to be clear, this is a nitpick. I'm very specific that height over bore, that 16th of an inch matters for me. It probably mm-hmm. doesn't for most people. Mm-hmm. I'm just, if you've been shooting a long time and you've been shooting, you, you've trained yourself, it just, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I know, I know what you're talking about. It's, it's that portion of your memory that's in your hands and not your eyeballs. Exactly. And I, it's some, definitely something I could get used to, but it, it 
It would take you more shot. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you're basically, you're having to override your hands through what you see with your eyes now. Yeah, it, it absolutely. Because they used to match, now they're not matching. Yep, that is true. Sit the Masada. Yeah, so, and I, I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards getting a SIG as well, because I got a few other SIG sites. I like I liked the, the brand warranties and stuff, although I didn't realize the, the lifetime didn't apply to electronics, but oh well. But part of me is still kind of trying to find my old, my old, yeah, Trigicon, thank you. I just blanked it out. My old Trigicon, I have a Trigicon gun site somewhere. And this was one they don't make anymore because this used tritium. Hmm. Uh, all their new ones are purely electronic. electronic. Yeah. So, Gene, on that, if you do go mm -hmm. to purchase a new site, Look yeah. at the hollow suns because they've got some solar options that are pretty cool that, you know, if there's enough ambient light, even with a dead mm -hmm. battery, it will come on and work. And then the, the current Trigicon, the RMR type two has decent yeah. enough battery life. And that would be a good option. Well, uh, and the, the one advantage of the Trigicons is it's, it's actually, you can get, they have a variant, which is much like mine, but mine was tritium and fiber optic. They have a electronic and fiber optic combo mm -hmm. as well now. So that, that's another option from a practical standpoint, given that these things have like 20 to 50,000 hour lives, it's questionable whether anything even matters because even tritium is not, I mean, it's on all the time and it's there, but every 12 to 15 years, I have to pay a bunch of money to get my tritium replaced. Well, and here, here's the thing. These batteries that you're using have 10 plus year shelf lives. So you could even have a stockpile of batteries for the, you know, five batteries will get you through that 10 years. And that's assuming that you're using it enough because the auto off features that they have yeah. for these, and they're so good. I, I mean, I've mm -hmm. played with it where picking it up, touching it, bumping it, anything, it's on way quicker than you're going to go from your hip to your eye. And by mm -hmm. the way, if you're moving, it's going to be on anyway. So it's fantastic, man. It really yeah. is. Yeah, no, that's uh, there's a lot of options. Let's put it that way. I like the way the Holosons look. I don't like that it's a Chinese company. I I, I, said I, don't, the, I don't. I mean, a lot of companies manufacture in China, or at least but it's Chinese actually parts, Chinese. But it's actually owned, company, owned yeah. by China. Yeah. So I, I and that that was my problem with it, and my hesitation was mm. Chineseium. But what every gun store guy and buddy that I have and have talked to said, it's still a good optic. It's rugged enough. It handles no, everything, it, it and it's be. at a premium Here's my price. My concern is when the war with China breaks out, then that goes away. Right. It'll either get banned on the U.S. side, or it'll get banned from China exports, one or the other. And same with support, same with parts, same with everything else. Yeah, but it's so half I, the cost of the SIG and Leopold and Trigicon. I don't think it's actually half the cost of SIG. It's, it is half the cost of the Leopold and the Trigicon, but SIGs are a little cheaper. Okay, it's three quarters the cost, whatever. It's it's significantly less. It's over a hundred dollars less. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh so. and they and they have way more options. Like they if do. Sig made the same exact models as Holosun does, it would be a no brainer. They would be leading the market. 
Well, and I think the only it. reason why Holosun isn't is a the Holosun glass. There, you, you can tell the difference mm-hmm. in the glass. Sig has fairly decent glass. It's not the same as Leopold, but it's mm-hmm. decent enough. The Holosun, when I held it up, a I saw quite a bit of refraction to me. That was one of the mm-hmm. things I didn't like about mm-hmm. it. Now, in sub fifty yard engagements, that's not yeah. really going to matter as much. So for this every, type of octave, every but, professional shooter meaning somebody does a show on YouTube, has brought that <laughs> issue up about Holosun. Yeah. yeah. It's that, that their glass doesn't have the right coatings on it. Well, it, it's just it, the the it's just a slight blur to my eye that mm-hmm. it, I find distracting. Now, in a real-world scenario, would it really matter? Probably not. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't know. SIG is, is good enough and cheap enough. Mm-hmm. I think for, for most things, look, you're, if you're moving off iron sights, the way that I am, anything's better. Well, and that, that, that actually is another thing that I liked about the Romeo one pro is because it does have a, essentially a backup iron rear iron sight built mm-hmm. into it that you can utilize. Mm, um, I think even the zero has that. Yeah. yeah uh, they, it's a feature that they've had. Uh, now, now the zero a is a little slimmer too, but the, you want zero is also plastic. Yeah, you didn't like the plastic. Okay, got yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Zero is way cheaper. But, but, you know, so is my AR-15. It's also plastic. I don't know what parts of your AR-15 are plastic. but The entire thing. The whole thing. Uh-huh. Plastic gun. Uh-huh. My uh-huh. Glock is also plastic. Yeah. This is thinner plastic than, you know, lots of things. And your barrel's not. Yeah. yeah. No, the it's parts not. That a, matter but, aren't. but but honestly, I just took apart my my old my oldest AR-15 style gun, took it apart, took a look at it, and I was just blown away at how simple it is, and everything is plastic. And when I say plastic, I don't mean plastic. I'm just trying to be facetious. What I mean is polycarbonate, like a polymer lower and stuff like that. But your upper is going to be not. So no, it is absolutely plastic. The whole gun is plastic. Send the me a picture because I'm calling I, your handguard, maybe. But other than that, I'm calling nope, BS. This whole gun is made of carbon. It's a, it's carbon. It's not, it's not carbon fiber. It's carbonized plastic. It's basically plexiglass, or uh, not plexiglass, but it's uh, what do you call it? I'll send you a picture. I I mean I I don't mind taking that part. They're the upper and lower are both plastic. Mm-hmm. The only metal parts in it are the bolt, the trigger mechanism, and the barrel. Everything else is plastic. I mean, I guess you could have a plastic upper, but whoosh, I don't know mm-hmm. that I, I, that would be a wear item from hell to no, me. No, it's not awesome gun. I mean, your chamber and everything that's containing the pressures is in the barrel. Yep. But, okay, I don't know. I, I guess someone may have done that, but I, I surely would rather have aluminum. Yeah, well, but this thing only weighs like a pound. It's awesome. You and your ultralight stuff, man. And this is this the well, I don't know if it's even true anymore, but when I bought it, which would have been about 1996, it is the lightest AR 15 ever manufactured. Hmm. It's obviously more than a pound, I think it's about four pounds, but it is easily a pound lighter than the lightest aluminum ones I've seen. And they're the but no parts are interchangeable, everything is custom, so gotcha. custom lower, custom upper, so custom it- everything. So it's a AR all our tens a few years ago and stuff like that. Do you know who manufactured it? 
Yeah. As a company that doesn't exist anymore, it was called, uh, what was it called? Something Ordnance. Huh. So there are a couple companies that are doing something similar today, looks like. So, okay. Interesting. It's a carbon 15 is the gun. And it was made by, so Bushmaster bought the company that actually made it and then kept the name for a much less plastic version of the gun. Mm -hmm. But, oh, Professional Ordnance, that's what it was. It was made by a company called Professional Ordnance. Bushmaster, where everything goes to die. Yeah, exactly. And I have Especially like quality. serial number 150. Nice. That's a collectible gun. Yeah. So that's probably why I'm going to try and sell it as a collectible gun. Rather, because it's not, so, I mean, it's not worth selling as a normal gun. But as a collector, collector's item, so it's, it's funny probably worth a few bucks. Because I didn't realize this, but a, a buddy of mine who has an AR pistol has the Bushmaster Carbon 15 type AR pistol. But looking at the photos, it's definitely the mm -hmm. same thing. Okay. Yeah, that's not what mine looks like. Mine looks completely different than that. But what you do see in that photo is the upper and lower, that's the Bushmaster version, but both mm -hmm. the upper and lower are still plastic on that one. My gotcha. gun doesn't doesn't have a that what's that button on the right side for your the manual pushing the the load thing? The fuck's oh, yeah, it yeah. called? Yeah. The the slide release? No, not the slide release. You need that. No, no, no. The, the button on the right side. The thumb button. Like if you're if you are trying to force the round into your barrel. Oh, the forward yeah, yeah. Forward it assist. was not forward a assist. not a yeah, it's not a thumb it button, it's the completely forward. Completely unnecessary part in a well made gun. You don't need that. Uh, so it should not exist. So my gun doesn't have that, for example. I, yeah, and and a lots of people have argued that it was part of the original stoner design, but you know what I would say there is so was an, uh, a non chrome lined barrel. Exactly. And if you had a non-chrome lined barrel, a la Vietnam, when mm -hmm. first was released, yeah, there was a there was a use case in a modern gun. I I tend to agree with you. There, I can, I have never used the forward assist on my gun. No, nobody's ever used one. You don't need it. None of my AR-15 style guns have a forward assist. It's just not necessary. I'll tell you where I know a buddy who hunts with an AR-15 has used it. Where? When he's walking to whatever stand he's going to, and he mm -hmm. wants to put around in the chamber, but doesn't want to allow the bolt to just go home, so he pulls back and slides and lets the bolt-ish go home. I would say you have home, a friend that misuses it. And then uses the forward assist to get the yeah. bolt to lock. Yeah, that's a misuse of it. I, but it's a quieter way of doing it. So for the purpose of hunting and not making a lot of noise and disturbing Why the would area, you not just chamber beforehand? That's what I do. <laughs> That's what everybody just, does. He didn't no, want to walk in nuts. with one in the chamber. I don't know why. That is nuts. The other thing that's not necessary is a safety. I don't understand why people put those on there. Totally disagree with you. Why is that? I like a safety. Never understood it. Don't like them. They're not Especially needed. Especially on a long There's gun. only one safety you need, and that one's on your hand. It never okay. leaves your hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So on a pistol that's in a holster with a good trigger guard, I can kind of agree with you there. I personally grew up with safeties, and that's just part of that mechanics. It's like mm -hmm. having the optic on a plate higher. I can get used to it, whatever. But, you know, what I would say is without a good trigger cover, definitely on a long gun, walking through the woods, things like that, where your trigger is essentially uncovered because, you know, your trigger finger should never be inside your trigger guard unless you're getting ready to pull the trigger. So Absolutely. Okay. So 
brush, things like that. The mechanism by which the way the AR-15 trigger works, for example, I, the, the another great example would be the Remington 700 platform having, you mm-hmm. know, slam fire stuff. Yeah, I, I think there's a cause for mechanical safeties. Now, if weapons no. were designed like modern striker fire pistols, which, oh, by the way, even some of them, when they've been dropped, have had lawsuits on them going off when they shouldn't have. So I, a mechanical safety just it's added insurance. That's not a bad thing to me. Well, and, and I would say like on the Remington 700, I, I could see putting a safety in there just because the trigger travel is so small. And the, the, if you have a good trigger, the amount of pressure is so small like that actually is, makes sense. But when you're talking about a military style, six pound trigger. Yeah. But when you're talking about a two and a half pound trigger yeah, with that's no why, that's uptake, why, no slop, you know, that's literally what I just said. Yeah. Yeah. But even um, on an AR-15, if you've got a decent drop-in replacement trigger, you're still talking no take-up, no slop, and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe four pounds. So, mm. yeah. Well, anyway. So, I mean, the, the good thing about safety is there's no, there's, it's not a problem to have one, right? Because if you don't want to use it, you just don't use it. Yeah. Like, it's better to have, for a gun to have a safety and then not use it if you don't want to use it. And for a gun to not have one when you want to use it. Well, literally part of the reason why I bought the M17 was I wanted a full-size gun. That's why I didn't get the M18. But it was the SIG P320 that I liked the design of. I liked a lot of the internal flexibility mm-hmm. of the gun. And it had a external safety. And a lot of modern striker fire pistols these days, it's Don't getting help, harder right? and harder to find. Yeah. Yep. Yep. No, that is true. So, what were we talking about? We're talking about the plastic rifle. What else? Oh, yeah. So, if anybody wants to buy a collector's item, let me know. <laughs> so, what other guys? I haven't did you shot get? it you for you got a couple, a decade, more than a decade. Oh, I also want to sell a Mossberg 930 that's never been shot. That was like a backup, sitting in the back of the safe kind of gun. Yeah, and that's a tactical version of it, correct? That's the tactical with the Picatinny on top. With the full length tube. It's not the pistol grip version, it's the regular version. I've never particularly been a fan of pistol grip shotguns. I don't know why. It just like I'm comfortable with a pistol grip rifle, but a shotgun with a pistol grip just doesn't feel right. Yeah. I don't know why. I you know, and I also That's what I'm used to, never, I guess. I, I long barreled shotguns are a thing for me, right? You know, twenty mm-hmm. plus inch barrels is always where oh, I yeah. want to be on a hunting shotgun. Man. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, even for a home defense, the 18 and a half inch barrel just feels weird to me. Yeah. It just always has. It's it's a little on the shorty side, that's for sure. Yeah. So I I mentioned that I got the the 40 caliber folding Mm -hmm. rifle last Mm -hmm. time on the Mm -hmm. last show. Mm -hmm. So the other gun that I just got, that I physically also got now, is a Sig five five six. Now, do you know, you know the what Sig five five six SWAT? Yeah, the Sig. Yeah. That's yeah, the SWAT version. Correct. Yeah, yeah, that's a cool gun. Yeah, it's a that one is a rifle. It's a full length, sixteen inch barrel, and normal. I didn't think stock. they made it in the sixteen inch barrel. I guess it's a civilian mm-hmm. version. Yeah. So this gun happened to actually be a police gun. 
<laughs> and so I got it used. But the good news is it was a police gun, and therefore it had hardly been used at all. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Ten rounds better. down the barrel, maybe. It's it, it, 250 total rounds. Oh, my God. Since they got it, which was, it was better than that because it was a sergeant's gun, right? So it's, oh it's my basic. God. Yeah. It was a guy, it was a, it was a gun for somebody that basically sits behind the desk all the time. So it was the most decked out gun that they had, but it was also the least used gun. So I'm like, yep, I'll take that. Perfect. So you bought it from the police department? I Well, the police department doesn't sell guns to people. They, they contract out with an FFL to do that for them. Right. But so this FFL specializes in that sort of thing? Yeah. They just, they just sell guns to cops basically. So they're, they're, it's, it's like a cop supply shop. So if CSB is paying attention, you just admitted your law enforcement? I am not admitting anything <laughs> to anyone of any country, especially just... not somebody that's sitting in Ireland and is from <laughs> Poland. Well, you just said this FFL sells mm. to, you know, cops. So. Yeah, no, they sell to everybody apparently. So <laughs> oh, okay. anyway, this is a this is a, a really neat looking gun. It has two grips. So it has a foregrip as well as the standard grip. It is a SIG gun. It is essentially an AR lower with an AK forty seven upper. And it's yeah, in five five six. No, no buffer tube. No buffer tube, right? So it has a folding stock, a real from the factory folding stock. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, this gun is the great granddad of the current MCX line of guns from SIG. So it's, yeah, yeah. It's three generations back from the MCXs. Yeah, the but spear. It, yeah, but it, it's essentially that gun also has a foregrip with an integrated flashlight on it which i love the fact that the flashlight has a confusion mode on it you strobe uh, you mean yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah which my, is great in any home defense gun should have a strobe on it it's mm-hmm. great i will say that as soon as the spear is offered in a 308 or a 300 win mag i will mm-hmm. be purchasing one it's currently just in 568 five, fury Oh, just the, oh, oh, right, right, right. It's like Fury, right? Yeah, I, I can't imagine that they wouldn't sell other calibers soon. Well, I mean, the military's, and the Fury will probably come down in price in the next decade, but it's mm-hmm. going to take a decade to do it. Because the military, if they really do go to deploy that as a the new battle rifle, are going to be purchasing millions and millions and millions of rounds of ammunition but how is the spear different from just an mcx you can buy right now chamber pressures lots of but i mean things. the chamber pressure that's only because of the the, the 6.8, 6.8 yeah. caliber i so, think the stroke if, as well I, I guess what i'm getting is why would you wait for a spear to be available in 5.56 when you can buy an mcx today which is essentially i don't want the spears based oh what do you want i want 308 oh, want or better 308 Okay, yeah. so you want seven six two? Yes. Yeah, and it, and is the MCX not available in seven six two right now? I don't believe so. Let me. I check. don't know. I haven't checked, so I you know. I don't know if they currently are. All the MCXs uh, are pistol variants. I don't want a pistol. Well, the 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 spear is a twelve inch barrel, isn't it? Mm-mm. It's not. I thought it was. Well, it's also got the suppressor and all that. Yeah. So it's a it's a twelve inch barrel with right, but I want a civilian version with that that doesn't require an NFA item here. 
So you want a spear, which is, but you want it in a 7.62. With a 16-inch barrel. And with a 16-inch barrel, which and I, you could literally buy that gun today. You don't need to wait for anything. Please show me. A, a SIG? Yeah, a, a SIG with 308. You could totally buy that. So we'll, we'll, we'll find We'll it. have to do some Googling on the websites. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that, that that's available right now. Okay. I don't know, every time I go to Six website, they try to get me to build my own 320 and then charge me two grand for it. <laughs> every yeah, well, that's time, because you want God. the crazy cutouts and the gold and yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, who wouldn't want that? I mean, honestly. I, I wouldn't at all. You, you wouldn't want the white gun with gold trim and an Adidas logo? Are you nuts? No. no. That's crazy. Anyway, so... I, I'm digging this gun. This gun has the, how do I describe it? It is the, my, it's a very good trigger. I was going to say it's my favorite trigger, but I can't say that because my favorite trigger was a gun on a gun that I sold that I don't own anymore. Probably will never have a trigger like that again. I had a Mountain Eagle sniper rifle and that thing had, this trigger was, like you could just breathe on it and it would go off. It was perfect. Mm. It was, it became a part of your finger. Like as soon as your finger was on it, you didn't feel a trigger anymore. It was really good. It was a completely useless gun that was really cool. What gun was um, that? What? What gun was that? That was a Mountain Eagle 308 sniper. Mm. It was a carbon fiber gun. Shit. And it was pretty heavy. I mean, the barrel was over an inch diameter. Yeah. Well, with the uh, early carbon fiber barrels, it had to be because yeah. of the stress. Yeah. Well, the the amazing thing about it is the heat dissipation was so good that your first and second round hit the same hole. That that gun, I had a... So I bought it used. It was part of a matched set of two guns that was sold to a politician... And it ended up in the shop that I used to buy guns from. And I bought it and I shipped it back to, to what's the company up there? I mean, it's basically IWI, mm-hmm. but it's the American side of it. It's the same guys that made the Desert Eagle. And they had them accurize it and go through it and tweak it and everything. And when I got it back, it was shooting a quarter minute of angle. I mean, this thing was nice. freaking amazing. Now, that's only shooting, obviously, federal gold match ammo, blah, blah, blah. But it was a spectacular gun that I never used. Well, there you go. So the SIG MCX patrol version does come mm-hmm. in a 16-inch barreled variant. There you go. Perfect. But it's only available in 5.56. Oh, they don't have it in the... Are all of them just strictly in 5.56? 5.56 and 300 Blackout is what they have on their website right now. And that's mm-hmm. they don't even have the 227 Fury yet. So that's interesting. So if they have the Blackout, that means they have the barrel that can run 308 through it. Yep. They just need the lower that'll handle 308. Correct. I wonder if you could just take the upper off of that and slap it onto your own lower. And have the gun you want. Mm, the upper is what would have to change. The upper and the lower, because the magazine well, everything. Yeah, I guess both of them would have to change, wouldn't they? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, so they anyway. just don't have it. They don't have it in 308 yet. Well, they yeah, will, yeah. I'm sure. 
I'm sure there's, too, but. yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of people clamoring to buy that gun and something else. Now, and why do you not want to buy it in the Fury in the six eight? Reloading the the bimetal casing and just the civilian variant of the two two seven Fury is, I, I would I would buy it in six five Creedmoor before before I'd buy it in two two seven Fury. Oh, okay. And everything else, just right. just not wanting to adopt another cartridge that for me, my purposes and the way I want to use it, I don't see a lot of advantage. Mm. Now you give me the full on military version of the six, eight where I can, that I could potentially reload. I'd be all over Mm -hmm. that in a heartbeat. But I guess with bimetal cases, it'd be pretty hard to reload anything with it. Currently impossible. Yeah. With civilian reloading equipment. Right. Right. You need the commercial quality stuff. Um, Hmm. Yeah. Well, that that would probably mean that they will be. But you know, uh, it's like why the, the U.S. military and other militaries have used like Berdan primers in the past. They're not planning on reloading, and they mm-hmm. want something that it fits their purpose. But you know, Are those with cheaper the, or what's the advantage? It, it it it's less likely to have the primer pop out, so it's locked mm. into the case better versus just a pressure fit primer like the civilian mm. ammo and reloading world uses. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So yeah, I yeah. mean, you can reload Berdan primed cases, but it literally takes popping out the primer, which is a pain in the ass with Berdan primers. Then you have to take a tool and go in and reshape the primer hole. And then if you take too much, it will never fit right. It's just not worth it. Hmm. So I, you know, you've you've answered a question that I've had for a long time, which is exactly what's different about that primer. So mm-hmm. essentially the, yeah. the Berdan primer just has pressure points sticking in that holds it in better. So the thought process is that Berdan primed ammo should have a longer shelf life that under adverse conditions should perform better. Things like that. You can hmm. theoretically do a hotter load in a Berdan primed round, even though military loads generally aren't because you're not going to have enough pressure on the, the, the primer isn't going to pop back into the, uh, the chamber of the gun. Mm-hmm. And cause a malfunction. Got it. Okay. Which that part of the sense. reason why the six eight fury round had to go with bimetal is because you know a they had to get around the pressures that they were doing, and then b you know the brass, uh, the pressures that they were doing on the brass would expand to the point where you were going to get primer pops no matter what. That's why they went with the steel casing on the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the the rest of it's plastic too, isn't it? No, they looked at an ammo variant that was oh, plastic that would that save they, weight, but they, they ended up the other not. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Got it. No, Got it, it. it's brass and, and steel casing. Got it. Okay. Oh, that's, that is interesting. So do you just shoot stuff you reload, or do you buy ammo occasionally? I buy ammo. I, I definitely buy ammo, but I... And I'll buy Berdan Prime surplus ammo to go plink and do whatever. But, you know, mm. I, I especially for long range stuff like my 300, my, mm-hmm. you know, I, I will go out and buy a box of hunting ammo every now and then mm-hmm. if I want to do that. But, you know, when I'm shooting that gun over five, six, seven hundred yards, it's hand loaded stuff I've done on a single stage press. Okay. Got so. it. You know, I, I'm I'm the kind of guy when I'm loading something like that, it's, you know, very meticulous, very consistent, well above any match grade ammo I could buy. 
you know, on the market. Yeah. And I think some people reload to save money. You don't care about that. Mm. So you're just doing it from a quality standpoint. Well, you know, like AR rounds and things like that, or, you know, like something I'm going to put through my AR-10 or my yeah. SOCOM 16 or my 6.8 AR, those I'm loading in much more big bulk processes just to have better ammo cheaper, you know. So I, I found a picture without, you know, stopping and taking a photo of my own gun. I found a picture of the Carbon 15 online mm -hmm. here. So I just sent it to you. And it's the one on top. The pistol, I don't have the pistol version. I have the rifle version. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But it is literally, the whole thing is just carbon fiber, the whole damn gun. Or, or plastic, however you want to look at it. I mean, it's not really carbon fiber. It is a carbonized plastic kind of material that's really like heavy-duty plastic, but it's essentially plastic. Upper, lower, everything. Everything but the barrel and bolt. Yep. And the gas barrel tube. Barrel, bolts, gas tube is metal, and the uh, the trigger mechanism is metal. Mm -hmm. uh, but pretty much everything else. But it you know, breaks down with two pins, just like a normal AR. In what fact, about the, the buffer tube? It does have a buffer tube, yeah. The buffer tube is plastic. The, the spring, spring is metal. The spring and the buffer I'm getting, betting are metal. The buffer is plastic. The spring really? is metal. Yeah. I, I don't I know just, how they get it heavy enough. It. It's very light. It's not heavy at all. I think the buffer is bare. I mean, if it's an ounce, I'd be shocked. It's very light. Interesting. So that that is, that is going to have a weird recoil impulse. It's not. It, it, yes. Yes. It's more recoily. You feel it more than you do with a typical AR. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to because you don't have yeah. that weight of that buffer to absorb. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Which is, yeah. by the way, for those who don't know, that's part but of the But look at the length of, of the buffer spring, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the rifle version. Yeah. It's really long. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, and so there the are, irony is, this is, this is I found funny. So this is a rifle bought, mm -hmm. you know, over 20 years ago. The, uh, what, what is a stock on that gun? Mm -hmm. Today would be referred to as not a stock, but a pistol brace. As a, yeah, a shooting brace. Because there's almost nothing there. It's just a slight little sliver of plastic that's sticking out of the buffer tube. I mean, it's just like, I always wanted it to have a bigger pad in the back, you know, but it... More uh, surface area. More surface area, yeah, just to spread that impact, that impulse, but it doesn't. Well, but Gene, the barrel is full length. Go ahead. No, I was just saying it's, it is, it is still a technically an AR. Well, Gene, you showed me something. That... A plastic gun. Well, I just didn't, wasn't familiar with the plastic upper. I mean, I've got a mm -hmm. polymer yeah. lower. Yeah. But... Yeah. And it, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I think I'm trying to remember how much I've shot that gun. I'd say that gun right now has probably got probably about 5,000 rounds through it. Right around there. Well, I mean, if it's uh, worn that well, then that's not bad. And it's very clean. When I took it apart, I was kind of shocked. It's it's direct impingement, so there's no complex mechanism or anything in there, but it was still pretty clean. So, I, Well, a lot of the problem with direct impingement really comes down to the ammo you're firing. If you're firing decent ammo, oh yeah, I, then... I only use expensive ammo, and I don't well, do reloaded and, ammo. And then the other question is, are you shooting a caliber and pr appropriate barrel length so that the powder is being fully exactly. consumed before it hits that gas port. That's yeah. another equation. Now, 
maybe this is something you can control when you're loading yourself, which again, mm -hmm. I, like my dad used to reload. So I always had a free supply of ammo, but I mm -hmm. never really got into reloading myself. But it seemed like for typical federal 5.56 ammo that I would normally be shooting, the you don't get a full burn on the powder until about a 14-inch barrel. Yep, pretty much. Is that still the case if you're... <clears throat> can you get faster burning? So you can control the type of powder that you're putting in there yeah. to an extent, yeah. and some of it's going to be hotter than or less. Are some more faster burning? Or... Yes, absolutely. So, so can you get... Can you, like, if you were reloading yourself, can you get a different powder that would let you do a full burn in, like, a 12-inch barrel? I don't know specifically for 5.56, because I have never reloaded 5.56. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, mm -hmm. for instance, on some of the 6.8 stuff for SPC, you could literally, depending on, you know, you could fully consume for a subsonic round powder mm -hmm. in an 8-inch barrel pretty easily. So there are two there are two variables there that are going to matter. One, when you're developing your round, choosing the right powder for your application. And then two, mm -hmm. doing chronograph experiments so that you realize when you go over X number of grains of powder, you're no longer getting any benefit because you now know that the barrel is not consuming the remaining right. powder. Exactly. So then you back down, right? Yeah. So that way you're so achieving the you, maximum you velocity of that rig barrel. out to the gun range so you can just make a new round and test it right away? Or how's no, that no, 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 no. You develop loads. So you, you start off with oh, the so book. you pre-build different ones and then you test them one yeah. at a time. Yeah, okay. well, you, generally when I'm doing my load development, I do three rounds of each formula mm, that I'm going to mm -hmm, shoot. Mm -hmm. And also, depending on the type of application, if you're talking a semi-automatic like an AR, then you're not looking at grouping near as much as you are out of something like, you know, a, a bolt gun. A bolt gun, mm -hmm. first of all, finding the right round for that gun and that barrel and how that's going to shoot with that particular head yeah. spacing that you yeah, have yeah, yeah. actually really matters. I mean, you can get a at least oh, a quarter totally. MOA difference in accuracy out of that, if yeah, not yeah, more. Yeah. And this is why the good, like good publications, meaning not YouTube, that actually do tests of guns will do that, that test of a particular with weapon rounds, yeah. with multiple brands of ammo, not just the same brand with different weights, and then show you like, which brand does this gun like? Yep. Absolutely. So, so anyway, when I'm doing my load development, depending on what type of guns for, I'll usually start with three rounds of four or five different yeah. plays, whether it's different types of powder, different weight combinations, or even down to, okay, I, I think I've got the powder where I want it. Let me, I'm going to shoot the same green bullet, but let me play around with the Sierra Match King versus the Hornady, you know, and find the exact right projectile even. Mm-hmm. No, that's cool. Yeah, and then well, you start I with noticed... your dope cards and you start building out, you know, the coefficients and everything else at distance. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's I think you can get that on your phone these days. Okay. Dope cards. Anyway, just look up dope card app. I think we've got enough, Ben. We're, uh, I just I, realized it's well over two hours that we've been yakking. Yeah, the only problem is my sandwich theory at the beginning of the show totally didn't happen on this one. <laughs> so well, you're well. saying this conversation about plastic guns wasn't serious enough for you? Is that it? It wasn't the, what I was meaning, no. Mm -hmm. No. Mm -hmm. so. Well, I think this is a, you know, we don't just talk about guns, obviously. We did more so on this episode than we normally do. We usually get more into political stuff and other craziness that's happening around the world. But yeah. it just so happened that lately 
since I've been kind of gun shopping and spending a lot of time looking at stuff and you went and got a new gun and a new site for it, that this is, this yeah. has been a topic that's easy to talk about. Well, I'll, we can just end it by saying the queen is dead. Yeah, that's right. That's a sad thing, I guess. I don't know. I mean, some people think she's dead. I'm not quite sure she's dead. I don't know anyone um, who I thinks think it's sad. Just, I think she's just retired. But it is sad. It's the, yeah, really? You Would you rather have Charles than her? I mean, it's like when Daddy Bush died. I That, you know, he's that just not didn't dead. make me I, sad. Why do people keep saying that? He's not dead. He's, oh, please. he's retired. He's just retired. Yeah. Okay. No, no. I just, I, I know how long lizards live, dude. And then under 100 years is not even the beginning. Okay. Much, much longer. Anyway, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. And then we will, we'll have episode one as soon as everything is ready, meaning the music, the cover arts, all that good stuff, the website. So, and obviously we're going to make a big, a big deal about it on Bean Speaks as well and talk about knowledge on the social so that everybody mm -hmm. knows when the new podcast is up. But we're not quite there yet, but we still wanted to get this episode recorded. That's it. No parting words from you, Ben. Gene, as always, it was good to, good talking to you. Good therapy session. Ready for the new show. <laughs> That's sometimes what I feel like is I'm providing therapy. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. And as always, thanks for joining me. Please do keep in mind that nothing in this podcast represents financial, legal, or medical advice. 